following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. everybody and welcome to another edition of rediscover the indies and independent wrestling history podcast brought to you here by bicbp radio network and the podcast precinct uh sorry for the late release it's been a crazy hectic month for myself and my co-host jonathan ash who's joining us thank you for joining us ash i'm just glad to be awake (laughs) yeah he's very busy guy i've been very busy but we're here for you guys to uh, bring uh, another part of this Burt Prentice deep dive. And after speaking off air, this will be part four. There will be a part five. So um, we've got a lot of great feedback on this uh, in person uh, at the most recent ESW show. And multiple fans come up to me and said, this is great. We've gotten some great messages from some notable people in the business uh, who've enjoyed uh, the deep dive uh, on Burt Prentice. So we really appreciate that. We're, trying to do the best we can to tell the story of him as a promoter. It's fascinating. And honestly, he was the last of a kind. I don't think in today's world, somebody can kind of bounce back and forth and just run a new town, run a new territory, run a new promotion, all that, and keep being successful as he was. So, uh, you know, we're gonna have a lot of fun. We've had a lot of fun. We're gonna have a lot of fun kind of finishing this story with these next two parts here, but, uh, we want to thank you guys for listening. Remember you can like us if you haven't already, uh, like us on Facebook, Rediscovering the Indies, RTI Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and, of course, you, you know, uh, you, you can download us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Um, well, I think it's Apple Podcasts now. Google Google Podcasts and other streaming avenues. But we will uh, get right into it here, where we left off here. And we'll start with October 26, 1998. We're going to start with Observer Notes. And... This is Music City Wrestling has taken its interpromotional angle one step farther. The original feud was MCW Georgia, held by Bill Barons, feuding with MCW Tennessee, owned by Barons, playing a heel owner, but with Burt Prentice as the rival babyface executive role. To further their angle, Prentice is now running shows on Friday nights. First show was October 16th in Nashville's opposition to MCW Saturday shows for a promotion called the Alternative Wrestling Federation to build up an interpromotional series of matches. The AWF show had mainly Memphis talent like Dundee, Ashley Hudson, Bulldog Reigns, Franz Von Keller, uh, Heinrich Von Keller in Memphis's real name, Trey Keller, and Derek King, along with MCW wrestlers Shane Eden, Wolfie D, and Terry Golden. MCW the next night used some of the talent, including Colorado Kid defending the North American title, which is the same physical NWA North American title belt that Jeff Jarrett wore in WWF TV, against Dundee on top. MCW's next big shows are October 31st and November 26th in Nashville. Um, the Alternative Wrestling Federation, does this count for a prom- a- another promotion that he ran? I, I think yes. Um, it, it's obviously just the, the gimmick name for Music City Wrestling for them to run the same town. I lost times. count, but he at least ran 10 plus federations. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know how I feel about this idea of running the same fed but you're running under a different name you're basically creating like a raw versus smackdown 
in, in modern terms, but running like a type of promotion like that, we are running. It's the same company, but publicly it's being ran as competition. I think you have to look at it in 1998. How much was kayfabe still a factor? And look at the region. I, I would say that kayfabe probably in Tennessee was a little stronger than obviously kayfabe in the Northeast, right? And I think they're trying to have believability that Bill Barron's actually owned Music City Wrestling and Burt Prentice, who had a reputation of always getting almost pushed out of promotions he worked for and just opening up the, the next f- promotion in a rival town or in the same town. Um, I mean, it, I think they, they, that was the goal, was to kind of really make the fans believe that there was a legitimate feud between Barron's and Burt Prentice. Yeah, um, that's definitely that definitely seems to be what they're going for here. Um, again, as we've read, as we've gone over in previous episodes, it wasn't out of the ordinary to run two to three times in a single week, all within a one-hour driving distance to Nashville or whatever home base they're in. So they were big on I don't want to say oversaturating the market it it would appear oversaturating like in today's terms but they were used to they're accustomed to doing that of running the same general area multiple times in a in a week and that just seems like this is just another unique way of doing it because you're, you're still running with the same company and you're using a few of the same guys um, but mostly trying alternate alternate wrestling <laughs> you're, you're doing a alternate card with multiple with multiple rosters yeah yeah and 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 i mean it's for that market uh, your own competition being yourself i guess i mean that that's always a smart idea too um the alternative name too like it's 1988 i guess that's still cool to call something alternative <laughs> Uh, in that time period. Um, hey, Alt-Rock was a big thing. Yeah. Uh, so, just kind of highlights from some of those results. None too much, but Carl LaDuke is here. Uh, being defeated by Stephen Dunn, and then the next night he's teaming with Corey Williams uh, and gets beat by Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins. Um, Carl LaDuke was a guy who popped up in our Stampede episode that we talked about. And I believe he's still currently kind of involved with uh, FLQ in, in Montreal, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he, he makes the rounds. He gets around there. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, Carl Duke still uh, last match on Cage Master 2020. So still going strong. Started his career in 1995. Guy, he traveled, man. De- uh, definitely traveled. Uh, it's, it's crazy how he got, like... It's crazy how he got down there. Because in his cage match, like, it's Stampede, Stampede, and then he has the year where he's in Music City Wrestling, uh, and then he's at a, he's at an NWA taping, also in Nashville, basically for Music City. So, yeah, so it's interesting the year he spent in uh, Tennessee. Um, uh, other than that, uh, Candy Divine is here. Um, Bart Sawyer. Uh, n- nothing too much for, uh, of a difference there. Let's see here. All right. Uh, moving on to November 9th, 1998. The Music City Wrestling ownership angle had a big twist this week with the double turn of Burt Prentice and Bill Barron's. 
As the story goes, Prentice has sold the company to Barron's, who took over on November 1st. Mark Davis is now the frontman promoter in Nashville. At the October 31st show, Wolfie D and Billy Travis and Brickhouse Brown attacked Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins, who had been heels up to this point when they were given a plaque for NWA's most improved tag team. Uh, Cotteretto Kid saved the set up a six-man. Travis actually didn't work the six-man and was replaced by Ashley Hudson, and apparently there's bad blood within the company about that. During the match, Prentice attacked Dunn and basically returned his previous guys as a gay manager named Honey Love. Uh, Barons, who had been heel up to this point, ran in and got destroyed by all the heels. Colorado Kid turned heel with Prentice on Dunn and he clocked the ref. Music City did a 21-match TV taping the night before a lot of indie guys from Tennessee area and the Carolinas. Uh, a, lot, well, a lot of TV tapings. Uh, I think it was Christopher Love was his manager name. I believe it's Christopher Honey Love. Yeah, I, was it just Honey Love though. I don't know if it was just Honey Love. I, um, it, it's Dave. Like he's yeah easily yeah that's, yeah that's from Meltzer as Observer. Uh, November sixteenth, nineteen ninety eight. We do just have some results here. Uh, just kind of going some highlights and some results. Um, we have. For the November 5th show, it's it's your standard. So we've been talking about, you know, your Ashley Hudson's, your Brickhouse Browns, Bill Dundee's, Wolfie D's, whatnot. But James Storm pops up here, beating Hot Rod Biggs. And and then on November 6th, uh, James Storm is also on the show, beating Rod Biggs again. It, Hot Rod Biggs, is that the same? Is that Luther Biggs, who we talked about? And the Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling episode. I'm intrigued. Uh, let's look that up. Let's see here. Hot Rod Biggs. I found his cage match. No. It is not the same. So there's a couple of Biggs that were wrestling on the Southern Circuit. Yeah, Hot Rod Biggs uh, looks like mostly in Tennessee. Yeah, just worked a lot of uh, Central Tennessee promotions. Works for Bert's next in promotion as well. Um, all right. So, yeah, there's uh, a lot of twists and turns going on with uh, double turns. And and now Mark Davis is in charge, at least at least in front of the fans. And we and like I said, we got a young James Storm here. So and and that's a great thing about these episodes to see. Like you know, you're seeing some of the stars uh, from the '80s and '90s that were kind of just keeping their careers going here. But then you have James Storm. Really, the beginning of his career is in this this Music City Wrestling war against themselves. Um, yeah, I think he's rather new in the business, right? Uh, yes, when he started in '97. So yeah, he's. About a year in. Uh, November 30th, 1998, Music City Wrestling will be one of the new companies running major Thanksgiving spectaculars this week with the show headlined by Brickhouse Brown and Flash Flanagan versus Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins. Colorado Kid had split up his long association with Burt Prentice. You know the storyline one. We'll face Prentice's mystery opponent. It wasn't all that many years ago that Thanksgiving was the biggest night of the year for the pro wrestling industry. Interesting trying to rekindle that thing because I th- want to say the last major Thanksgiving shows that were probably ran w- were Smoky. Smoky probably did it right, and that was probably you're talking their last one was probably '94. 
Well, when was Sunday Bloody Sunday for Smoky Mountain? Obviously on a Sunday. Um, yeah, so that one, yeah, no, but like, cause Smokey ran on Thanksgiving, didn't they? Or could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, they had Thanksgiving Thunder. Yes, but I think they fold before Thanksgiving Thunder '95. Yeah, Thanksgiving Thunder was was more of a tour. So '92 they ran the 26th, 27th, 28th, and 29th. They did Hazard, Kentucky, Welch. West Virginia, Johnson City, and Knoxville. Okay. Same thing in 93, where they ran four shows. 94, they ran uh, four shows. And then they changed it up. They did Marietta one year, Paintsville, Kentucky. And WWF stopped Survivor Series on Thanksgiving early 90s, right? 94 was the last one. 95 was the first one on Sunday. So, like, so 94 seemed to be the last year for major Thanksgiving shows. Well, no, they did. They were doing Thanksgiving night all the way up until 93, I believe, or 94. Okay. I remember 94 specifically was Thanksgiving Eve. So they made the change. Okay. For some reason, they went from Thanksgiving night to Thanksgiving Eve. And then Sunday, by Sunday's, uh, or by 1995, that was the year that they went to monthly pay-per-views and figured out that they should just run Sunday nights. So it's been a good four or five years before someone really major ran Thanksgiving. There was probably some, I'm sure Bo James ran on Thanksgiving uh, during this time period, but trying to run a big Thanksgiving show and not seeing music city wrestling was this huge juggernaut, but it was, it was been a while since someone tried to put this together. Uh, and we'll kind of go into see if it worked out or not, but I, I, I do want to divert a little bit. And we've had this conversation before, I believe maybe on here, but I know we've had it off air. Can Thanksgiving work today? And, you know, you mentioned the WWF did Thanksgiving Eve. And I think Thanksgiving Eve's not a bad play. Um, you know, I think, it's that party atmosphere. You don't have to work the next day. Yeah, you got to be a Thanksgiving dinner, but whatever. That's late morning, early afternoon, all that. You you can go out to a wrestling show and have a good time. Thanksgiving night's hard because you're rushing. You're rushing your your celebrations and all that. But I have also seen on Thanksgiving night football stadiums sell out for Thanksgiving night games. And Thanksgiving Day games. And, I mean, could promotions pack smaller arenas on Thanksgiving? So, I, I'm i going to be pessimistic and say no. Um, for the simple fact of why, and we've talked about it before on the show, where it was much easier for territories to draw back in the day when there was three TV channels and especially in the small towns you really had nothing going on you you didn't have a multiplex theater you only had you had a theater with one one screen um so there was really not much to do in these small towns now let me look when did when did the NFL switch to multiple games or were they always doing multiple games they always did day? two yeah, they, they switched moved, to three recently, right? They moved to three, like, 2011, 12? 2006. What? 
oh, it looks like. Wow, wow, yeah. <laughs> but even, but even to... still, weren't they? I believe it wasn't like a one o'clock game and a four o'clock game, or like noon and five or something like that. Um. So yeah, so they always had competition from the NFL. Um, but just look at like the dynamics today with how Raw will do really bad numbers if there's a really good Monday Night Football game on or if there's college football. Um, like, look at how much the ratings dip. I don't think Thanksgiving Day would work. Um, I don't think an arena would sell unless you're in, like, a major city. Um, that you have enough people. I think AEW could do it. Well, I mean, that's I not, mean that's AEW not being... does, does great on their Thanksgiving Eve in Chicago. Yeah. Um, they always do well. Yeah. Um, which, that was going to be my next point about, like, Thanksgiving Eve. I think, how do they do with the ratings, though? I don't think they do very well with the ratings on Thanksgiving Eve. Um, well, I mean, because people are going out doing things. But the point is that you could make one of the options to go out, be wrestling. I mean, I have traditionally have done a lot of comedy shows Thanksgiving Eve that have absolutely been packed because people want to do things on Thanksgiving Eve. Yeah, and I know you've you've worked for a company in area Pennsylvania that, have, that has ran uh, Wednesday night shows. They've ran Thanksgiving Eve in the past. Yeah. And, and from what I understand, I it was successful. Well. I'll be part of I'll be part of this year, like actually be on the roster this year for their Thanksgiving to actually see it in person. But yeah, I, I've heard it's you know people. Want I think that's to do. they pack the place. Yeah, I think that's different if you're running an indie fed and you're running in a bar. If you're running in like a like a bar or somewhere they, there's drinks, it's a party atmosphere. I think that will draw, but like that drawing one fifty to maybe even three hundred in a bar is a far cry from running like a major event that's going to draw five to 10,000 people. Yeah. I mean, it will be interesting if somebody tries, I feel like somebody will try. Maybe Conrad Thompson will try if the Flayers last match is successful. Oh, we definitely need a star cast. Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. We need a Jim cry. Oh, that team with Russell Cade. And on Thanksgiving Eve, you do your own type of star Cade. Or Thanksgiving, whatever. Yeah, just do it. I mean, um, yeah. There's also that. There's there's WrestleCade, and for for us, ESW always traditionally would run on Black Friday, and that was always our biggest draw of the year. Would be we would draw seven, eight, nine hundred people on Black Friday. So, but the, but again, there's nothing really going on on Black Friday other than you know people shopping. Yeah. And AIW does the same thing. AIW runs Black Friday every year, and that's one of their biggest shows outside of J-Lit. So there's definitely – I think there's definitely a market for that weekend. But, again, I don't know. I think it could be hit or miss running Wednesday and Thursday. Definitely not from a major TV company running on a Thursday against football. Oh, so I think my point is on a Burt Prentice-level independent show, I feel like independent shows might do well on Thanksgiving night. And not just your traditional Tennessee, you know, hundred people. Like, uh, I feel like if if a good independent promotion ran on Thanksgiving night, they could be successful. You know, not to put you on the spot, but if GCW ran Thanksgiving, I think it'd be a big deal. I, I think it would be a big deal. I don't know if I. <laughs> that's a lot of traveling for holidays to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's fly, 
this traveling on Memorial Day weekend was was bad enough, and now I have to do it on Thanksgiving. Well, he's making you travel Fourth of July weekend too. So, <laughs> yeah, that's driving though. That's that's um, that's only driving halfway across the country. I'm okay. Yeah, oh, just just halfway. <laughs> St. Louis is there, just halfway. I drove to um, Dallas and back. I'm fine. Uh, but the sorry for diverting. But I love the Thanksgiving conversation. And can Thanksgiving can independent really? That's the conversation I wanted to have. Can independent promotion do successful on Thanksgiving? I think it depends on the promotion. I think the local local promotions maybe not. But to make it an attraction to bring people in, you know, partner with a Wrestlecade or something like that, it could. Be, I think it could be very successful. Yeah, it needs to be um, a destination. Basically, what you're saying. Yeah. Um, we'll move on here. December 7, 1998, the Music City Wrestling Thanksgiving show drew just 250 fans. Uh, so 1998 wasn't that great. Uh, and <laughs> so we take Brick back House... everything we just said. <laughs> well, no, I just, it didn't work in 1998, but it might okay. work in 2022. Uh, the ending with Brickhouse Brown and Flash Flanagan beating Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins when a wrestler in a wolf mask, apparently supposed to be Wolfie D, hit Riggins with a hubcap. This set up a fans bring the weapons match with Flash Flanagan and D versus Dunn and Riggins on December the 5th. The November 27th, November 28th house shows were then canceled. There were several no shows on the Thanksgiving card. Gypsy Joe missed the event and instead wrestled that night for a local promotion. And MCW claimed he never contacted them and told them he wasn't coming. Chad Collier and Candy Devine both notified the company in advance. Uh, time for MCW to change a card. Uh, MCW has has also talked with the Nashville network about getting the proposed 8 p.m. Friday night time slot and is trying to get a letter, fax, email, etc. campaign to the network similar to the success ECW had at various times rallying its fans together. Right now, Nashville network has no deal with anyone, but people close to negotiations and the way things are structured, too many people already have a cut in the pie, and at this point, taking the deal under the terms outlined would end up costing more than it's worth. ECW has been in negotiations with them as well as negotiations that are still ongoing and have several people, including Paul Alperstein of the defunct AWF. I believe this story. I believe, and... I believe that they probably had talks with the Nashville network because obviously like, like Dave said right there, like this is a few months before ECW got on there. So I could, I could buy that the Nashville network was making the rounds and talking to several different companies, several different promoters and seeing which one was the best fit for them. And they talked about this uh, between the sheets uh, when they were doing the ECW on TNN episodes. And it, like the po- the thought that came to my head and, I, and Chris and Bix might've brought it up. Music city wrestling was probably more of a fit. At least that time when they're the national network before they become TNN they were probably more of a fit and they probably wouldn't have been hurt by having a Friday night time slot at 10 o'clock and, and being little promotion like TNN did the ECW ECW for their budget and their talent needed someone to really put full steam ahead on them. Where music city wrestling, I, they weren't growing like that. Hey, you know, they would have benefited a little bit, but they also would have been stunted by the growth where ECW and TNN was supposed to grow the company and then killed it. <laughs> yeah. It, it was always a bad fit. And obviously like it, the story has been told a million times. So like with TNN never properly promoted ECW, cause they weren't a fit for them. 
And I think TNN quickly realized that they weren't getting, like it was one of their highest rated shows, but they weren't getting any of the fans stick around to watch anything else, to watch Roller, Roller Jam. No. And it makes you wonder, <laughs> it makes you wonder, you know, now not all the same people in the Nashville Network were working for Spike TV in, in you know, the mid-2000s. It makes you wonder if any of those contacts were still around. That's what kind of helped that TNA relationship um, with Spike TV. Because Burt was involved in the office in TNA, and he obviously had these contacts here uh, with the Nashville Network. The one that threw, Paul Apperstein. <laughs> Still trying to do the AWF in 1998. It's uh, trying to bring back that old 80s style of wrestling. Um, Gypsy Joe saying, ah, I'm just going to stay home on Thanksgiving. Uh, can't blame him. <laughs> uh, Chad Collier uh, is an interesting one here. Is he actually on any of these cards before? I don't really see. But Chad Collier would have probably still been based out of Cincinnati at the time. He would have um, been because he he would have started a year earlier than this. Yeah, so. HWA, yeah. Yeah, he probably would have been Cincinnati or at least local around that area. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, very, very interesting. Uh, Wolfie D wearing a wolf mask. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, the, I don't think he ever did anything wolf-related after <laughs> I, I imagine the Michael Jackson uh, thriller, Wolf Mask. Yeah, so, so something like that. Um, so December 14, 1998, Music City Wrestling has changed its name to NWA Worldwide Wrestling. Perhaps an attempt to capitalize on the current boom and have a major shot at, have a sh- better shot at major TV clearances. So we talked about on a previous episode, the NWA is getting popular at this point because they were on TV um, and Severin's a good champion for them. Uh, wrestling Dory Funk to draws. <laughs> um, um, wrestling but, him in shoot fights. Yeah. yeah. But then we have here, I, this kind of makes sense. He's trying to get this Music City Wrestling, I mean, trying to get this Nashville Network deal. And hey, let's ch- maybe at this point too, National Network kind of knew they were going to be TNN and not just the national. They wanted to just be TNN, the National Network. I think they they changed it to, and yeah, well, Bert. They kind of told Bert that, and he's like, okay, let's try to change the name and see if that will help us get the deal with them. Well, I I feel like something like he must have gotten word on something, or just the general feeling of if he's trying for a cable time slot, like he realized he he, he can't be regional. He has to have a just a generic name but um they they didn't change the the national network for two years three years oh so they were the national network during the whole ecw run huh yeah they didn't change but i remember the logo being like red they kind of went away from the yeah logo they started when they got uh when they got t when they got ecw they changed to just tnn they stopped saying. They stopped spelling out what it meant. Um, but I believe they changed it to the National Network when they got the WWE programming. I'm sure there's there's an answer out there uh, about this, but like ECW obviously didn't have an exclusive deal. Now we know WWF signs one, and that's what gets ECW kicked off. And but, and 
fucked over the WCW invasion. Yes. But ECW didn't have an exclusive deal. Why didn't TNN just also pick up Burt? That, I, I, you know, it would have been cheaper for them to produce an ECW. But yet they they weren't putting any of their own money. So just, br- you want to come on? Come on. Oh, the, the, the. The the ECW deal was a horrible deal for ECW. Yeah, so I like, don't understand I, like, why that's... they just didn't they didn't bring Bert on to unless Bert realized this wasn't a good deal. That might be it too. I mean, I don't want to rehash everything that like Bix and Chris no no did on their this Patreon. Is just but interesting they, like, though. Yeah, they fully explained like the deal and how like it was just a bad deal for ECW. Um, There's a lot of what ifs that spiral on this. If Bert gets on TV, is there even a TNA? Does this become the TNA? Because then WCW closes in a couple years, and these guys gravitates toward people they know in the office, and this NWA Worldwide Wrestling becomes the new TNA because they have a TV deal. There's a lot of what ifs here. I, yeah, I mean that would have mattered if if WWE kept their programming on USA. That way, TNN would still be looking for wrestling if ECW went under, and TNA could have went right on there. So, oh, yeah, it's yeah. a, a lot of what there's, there's a lot of what-ifs, yeah. Uh, December 21st, 1998, uh, NWA Music City Wrestling on Christmas Night in Nashville is going with Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins. So it looks like they haven't officially became NWA Worldwide yet. Uh, uh, Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins and Bart Sawyer versus Wolfie D, Flash Lang, and Ashley Hudson in the cages as main event. Riggins is currently out of action with Kidney Stones. The Brotherhood, the current NWA tag champs, uh, Eric Sabatia and Knuckles Nelson, are supposed to show up in the tele- group's television soon. Colorado Kid will defend the company's North American title on an NWA Florida show. NWA Florida show on January 24th in Winter Haven, Connecticut against Greg Valentine. It's said that uh, Honey Love Burt Prentice is by far the best old steel style heel manager these days in the country. Of course, second best will be Bill Alfonso, Yamaguchi-san or Sonny Ono, uh, so a correction of the NCAA of Thanksgiving attendance in Nashville. We reported 250, but the actual number was 329. So that was Bert sending the number in. <laughs> no, this is 329. Um, why was NWA Florida running in Connecticut? <laughs> I want to know if that was just a, a, I, I, a typo I, I, by Meltzer. It's like, that makes no sense. I'm actually, I'm looking it up right now. Okay, it was in Winter Haven, Florida. Because there is two Winter Havens, right? There is a Winter Haven, Connecticut, right? I'm not crazy, right? I, I would assume, because why would yeah. they mess that up? There is, yeah, there's a Winter Haven. There's several Winter Havens. There's one in California, yeah, I, too. I, I see the show here. It's called The Big Squeeze. That was the name of the show. <laughs> NWA Florida, The Big Squeeze. Yeah, it was, it was in Florida. Uh, Cage Mass says 625. B. Brian Blair and Steve Kern were a tag team on the show. The Navy SEAL defeated Hack Myers in an I Quit match. Who's the Navy Shoot SEAL? Shoot kind of rules. Hack Myers is there. Buck Quarterman. <laughs> we got Barry Houston. We got Recon, a.k.a. Bull Buchanan, teaming with Bart Sawyer. This is an interesting show. But the, one of these days we'll, we'll we'll get into the Florida indie fun. Um, that, yeah, they prepared for 12 the, episodes. I, I will say be- this. A, a good topic would be after... Like dusty folds, and then they all the iterations of of Florida wrestling. 
for, until uh, for about mid nineties, probably. You mean after pro after the PWF folds and he yes. goes, when he goes to WWF? Okay. Yeah, that could that would be actually a pretty fun episode because like you see like a lot of people pop up in that time period because all those Florida guys don't want to travel and the territories are gone and it, it, very interesting uh, topic we might explore in the future. If you want to hear that, let us know on the social media. Um, move on to uh, January fourth, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, there's a couple uh, just results from those Music City shows in Nashville on Christmas day and uh the day after christmas so they're running on christmas too as well here um you know typical people we've been talking about dundee and brickhouse brown and colorado kids Stephen dunn Rena ringens at wolfie d flash flying nothing really new on there the next night um nothing really different here uh yeah, same, you know, Chris Michaels, Ashley Hudson, Flash Finding, and same type of crew. Uh, January 18, 1999, Burt Prentice passed out before the main event on the show. January 2nd in Nashville, and then on January 9th, announced his retirement. Chris Mike- Michaels attacked Prentice, so Kid- Colorado Kid saved him, putting them back together. Kid then beat Michaels for the title later that evening when Prentice interfered. So <laughs> He announced his retirement. The- All right, end, end of the show. <laughs> end of the podcast. Was this a was this a work fainting? I, <laughs> I don't know because did he? Dave didn't say if he passed out backstage for or really yeah. in the ring. Like, says he oh, I think out. we're we're gonna get a little more on this next note here. Okay. It looks like um, that nothing really notable. Farron Fox, Shane Eden, Ted Sweet, Elrose, Barnier, Briggs, Brickhouse Brown, Stephen Dunn, Bird Sawyer. Wait a minute, small wait. show. One, two, four matches. Three ended four in matches. a DQ. Yes, yeah, that's actually notable to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was just a, all right. We got you guys on the Christmas show. It's the day after New Year's. We're this is all you're getting. Um, January twenty fifth, nineteen ninety nine. Burt Prentice was diagnosed by having a benign lung tumor after collapsing during the January second Nashville Music City show. They did an angle afterwards to turn he and the Colorado Kid babyface the next week when he announced his retirement. Music City Wrestling on January 16th did an angle where Flash Flanagan said that nobody in the promotion could beat him and that he'd leave the next time he was pinned. Naturally, in his next match, he was pinned by Reno Riggins. Jerry Lawler will return to Nashville for MCW on February the 5th. Um, so, yeah, it looked to be it was shoot, and he, and Burt turned it into an angle. Well, naturally, that's what you do in wrestling. Um. <laughs> uh, February 5th, 1999, NWA Worldwide Wrestling, uh, or Music City, <laughs> that's Dave Sagan knows at this point, doesn't know which one yet it's called, drew 550 fans and 5,000, 000... oh, by the way, have we noticed the angle of Bill Barron's has just quietly gone away? Yeah, whatever happened to that? I think Wild Side's really gearing up at this point, too. Yeah, um, yeah, because no- that... there's nothing really about Music City, Georgia. Yeah, which, you know, we, we talked about in the Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling Notes, how great the Southern Indies were in the late nineties, early two thousands, but just not talked about. Cause there were once talk about ring of honor and CZW and all that. But like you got music city wrestling here. You got NWA Wildside. Dusty's doing a decent job of terminal championship wrestling. NWA Florida is doing good stuff. The Southern independent scene, you know, it's talked about now how great it is. And those guys have done Matt Griffin and Scott Hensley. And I, all those guys that are involved down there do an awesome job at, at, at really making the Southern Independence a big deal. But they had a good run in this area, too. 
this time period. Oh, definitely. It's, you know, it's not talked about enough how good the Southern Independents were in this time period. But yeah, so uh, NWR Worldwide Wrestling or Music City drew 550 fans at $5,000 for its fabulous February reunion show on February 5th in Nashville, headlined by the return of Jerry Lawler. Colorado Kid kept the North American title, beating Lawler via DQ in a main event. Stacy was in Lawler's corner. The match went 25 minutes and only about seven of it containing action as Lawler did the heel walking and stalling. The fans cheered Lawler big at the beginning, but he was able to turn them and got great heat in doing so. A clarification regarding Burt Prentice. Prentice did not say he was retiring from wrestling, but retiring from performing due to lung problems. He has been at the shows helping with promoting, but usually only stays for the first two matches and doesn't look healthy. So not good news for Burt at that point. But, you know, yeah, retiring, like, he's not going to be a manager. But, of course, he can't leave the wrestling business, and he never did. Um. March uh, 15, 1999, Music City Wrestling has moved its regular weekly wrestling night in Nashville from Saturday to Friday night, starting on March 5th, which drew about 220 fans at the fairgrounds. This coming week, they are running two shows, as on March 12th, they'll headline with Jerry Lawler and Spellbinder, uh, The Streak in Memphis versus Reno Riggins and Stephen Dunn, with the winners of the match facing the returning fabulous one, Steve Kern and Stan Lane, the next night. I forgot the Fabulous Runs had a 1999 run. Uh, Barry Houston is coming in on March 12th. The original plan was for Brian Christopher and Spellbinder to defend their titles against the Tennessee Volunteers on March 12th, but that match has been moved to March 25th with the storyline given that Christopher refused to return if there's a Nashville-based referee. Farron Fox is doing the Andy Kaufman gimmick where he wrestles women out of the crowd and offers $500 if any of them can make a pin or submit in five minutes. Um, so... The fairgrounds, we getting to kind of talk about this, you know, the fairgrounds being this wrestle, legendary wrestling venue that, that they'll run and TNA run, and now that, that, that Ric Flair's last match is going to be at the fairgrounds. Yes, it will. In Nashville. Um, the, the asylum, Nashville fairgrounds, whatever you want to call A lot of wrestling history there, and I think we'll, part five, we'll kind of get into to the fairgrounds in a lot of detail of how that plays. Um but yeah, we got the fabulous ones here in 1999, which is very interesting. But I know, I know they were both working. I, I, I could be wrong. Are both of them on that Heroes at Wrestling pay per view? Uh, or I just Stan Lane, I think, wrestling Tully. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, the fabulous ones are here in 1999. Uh, we got Spellbinder who. Uh, you also may know as Fantasio, and then he pops up in uh, TNA with kind of like a fake Scott Steiner gimmick at some point. Um, you you had him confused with Tommy Rogers. Okay, yeah, I know. I know Tommy Rogers was on. I I just didn't know if uh if those guys. Were, I know Tommy Rogers was on. Like, Tommy Rogers had a great 1990 run, yeah. nine run. Actually, he's an ECW. He does. I mean, not that Heroes of Wrestling was great. He has the WWE pro- light heavyweight tournament too. Yeah, like Tommy Rogers uh, quietly having a nice uh, run in 89. But, um, but yeah, so they drew in 220, which is great, which like 100 less than her Thanksgiving show running on Fridays. Is this maybe to get more talent? Because the move you would think would be run Saturdays, right? More, less people work. No, a lot of people don't work on Sunday. 
Friday, people are just getting off work. I've noticed from you know wrestling and comedy that Saturday shows traditionally draw better. But do you think the move to switch to Fridays was talent availability? Because you're probably going to get a better shot at talent on Friday nights. Uh, it could be. Um, for all we know, it could have just been an issue with the building availability. Um, but Saturday was always traditionally the night for wrestling in in Nashville throughout the Jarrett Lawler era of USWA. So it is kind of weird that you would change that, and I couldn't imagine that that wouldn't have an effect on the draw by just changing tradition. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, and, and Friday nights, you know, obviously – Texas had that long Friday night history. Burt was there for that. Maybe he's trying to switch it up. Maybe seeing he can uh, re uh, reconnect there uh, with that. Um, let's see here. Uh, March 22nd, uh, uh, 1999. Stan Lane, now 45, and Steve Kerr, now 47. Probably the most successful babyface tag team ever in Nashville. The fabulous ones in the early 80s. And Lane had a second run years later as part of the Midnight Express with Bobby Eaton. Perhaps the best tag team of the era. Returned for Music City Wrestling on March 13th and drew the company's second largest crowd in history. Approximately 600 fans for a match with the Tennessee Vols. During intermission before the match, Bill Dundee said he was going to get Lawler and challenge the Fabs to a tag match which takes place on April 9th when they return. Since the Vols are faces, the fans were cheering both teams, and eventually the Fabs tried to go heel, but a lot of the crowd didn't turn. The match ended up in no contest when a bunch of local heels hit the ring, and two of the teams wound up making up at the end. The Vols got the match with the Fabs on March 12th, and they beat Lawler and Spellbinder. Uh, MCW is attempting to get Jackie Fargo, who was Nashville's biggest wrestling star of the 60s, must be in his late 60s by now, uh, to be in the Fabs corner for the Lawler-Dundee match. Uh, Notable from there, so March 12th, uh, here's some notable talent. Uh, Shannon Moore. Beat Harold Bison. So we talked, Shannon Moore, I think, was on one other uh, thing that we talked about. No, that was actually Shane Helms, right? Yeah. Camera of Shannon Moore. All right. So Shannon Moore here is popping up in Music City Wrestling. Uh, and then the next night here, uh, you know, we are, we talked about, you know, Tennessee Vols, Lane and Kern. Uh, nothing. Joey Matthews and Christian York beating Bill Dundee and Shane Eden. Shane Helms and Shannon Moore beating Harold Bison and Preston Quinn. So. We got the Charlotte guys showing up here, uh, as well as Matthews in York. So we got Omega, Omega invading NWA Worldwide in 1999. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's great to see where a lot of these guys, James Storm, and now you know we see Shannon Moore, Shane Helms, uh, Joey Matthews, Christian York, where they're kind of cutting their teeth before they get television deals. Um, 600 fans. Uh, that's that, that's very good, and the fabulous one still had legs in that area. Um, March 10, 1999, Music City ran the biggest show in its history on, on May 1st in Nashville, drawing 900 fans, paying $10,300, uh, the biggest gate for a show at the Nashville Fairgrounds in 10 years, headlined by Jerry Lawler versus Bill Dundee, or I'm sorry, Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee versus the fabulous ones. Everyone was raving about the heat generated by the show by a tag team called the New South, Corey Williams and Ashley Hudson, an African-American Australian. Now, guys, this is me reading the Meltzer notes who dress up in Confederate flags. In that time period, you know, uh, 
that would not fly today. Let's just say that. Uh, the semifinal, the Colorado Kid versus Stevie Richards, never took place with no announcement in the building as a why. So this is Stevie's indie run, right? He has that weird indie run before he signs. Because he doesn't... What people don't remember is he doesn't go back to ECW after WCW. Yeah, he just, yeah this is shortly before he, he went he to He works WWE. like Coraluzo a lot. Yeah, and then he does stuff like this. Um, although a lot of different stories have gone on, Richards actually worked an NWA show that night in Jersey. Who do you think that was for? <laughs> Dennis Coraluzo. Uh, Richards was under uh, the impression that he was going to do the job since Kid holds the North American title and since Music City airs in Channel 48 in Philadelphia. Some fans in his hometown area would see it. And so being that he's the NWA 2000 champion in which he had won he agreed to the date and didn't want to be on a television doing a job since it theoretically hurt the local indie group. As silly as that sounds today, he decided after discussing things with other wrestlers the night before to skip the show. Although apparently he never told the promotion as Burt Prentice went to the airport to pick him up and he wasn't there. I think things have been worked out and they're going to try and turn it into an angle and have that match at a place at a future date. Kid also ended up missing the show since Richards wasn't there He was, and he wasn't 100% from having his wisdom teeth pulled. The group's next major show will be uh, June 5th and the second annual Tojo Yamamoto Memorial Show. So, I remember this... I remember getting Music City Wrestling in this time period on the Rabbit Ears. And and that's one thing I don't think we've talked about a lot because Dave didn't cover a lot was they were nationally syndicated. Bird was great at that. Bird had a very good syndication market. Yeah. And though Stevie, if this report is true, Stevie was interesting <laughs> to say the least. Uh, by saying that him losing and them airing it on Philadelphia would hurt him being the champion in Jersey. I, I don't, I don't think anybody would have been like, Oh, we don't buy Steve as a champion. He lost to a Colorado kid in Nashville. And I saw it. I saw it at one in the morning. I, last I, Saturday. I think Dennis would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was, maybe that was more Dennis and Richards. Yeah. The way the cutthroat way promoters were back in that day. Like I'm sure. That had something to do with that. I'm sure. I'm sure if he did job to Colorado Kid, that it would have came up with Dennis and other promoters in Jersey, and it would have hurt his his marketability. And this is the great thing about when we do these deep dives, and we've done it for you know over a year now, uh, you know, going on two years, is the worlds colliding. Burt Prentice and Dennis Corluso. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. June 14, 1999, uh, there was that big Music City Tojo Memorial show uh, that drew 650. Um, There's a wrestler named Lance Dreamer on the show. (laughs) Got Rick Michaels. uh, I'll go down the notable people here. There's multiple different NWA titles being defended, too, and different NWA stars. Air Paris beating David Young is on this show. Um see here we got gary Steele from the uk shane helms is on this show uh bobcat is on this show uh we got colorado kid and jackie fargo beating jerry lawler and bill dundee um we got joey matthews christian york 
We got Chris Michaels beating Bart Sawyer in a fan lumberjack match. Of course, you got Spellbinder, uh, and you got um, yeah, yeah, and Rick looks at Rick Michaels, but uh, we're kind of missing some of the regulars on there. But yeah, so uh, um, six hundred fifty for the Yamamoto Memorial Show. Definitely Jackie Fargo, Lawler, and Dundee to the house. Yes, and and this isn't. Now, we don't, like, I'm sure there's results in cage match. We didn't really, like, dig into it. But, I mean, they drew 900 in Nashville on May 1st. In March, they're drawing 600. They draw 650 here in in June. And, yeah, they're get, they're bringing in Lawler. They're bringing in the fabulous ones. They're bringing in Jackie Fargo. But this might be the way to do it. He's not running all these small little towns uh, and, you know, and, and kind of just exhausting those markets. Um, this is almost more of a modern independence schedule now. He's, you know, where you just run your town once a month and you just stack it. And maybe try to do a double shot here or there. Yeah, it, there's not much filler. Um, I mean, that is like in previous years when he's running five, six, seven shows a month and doing like three, four in a row. And they're all small towns centered around a big metropolitan area. And it's mostly like six matches of the same people. And it's almost the same lineup and every town's only like an hour away from each other. Yeah. He's doing a, he's, he's going, he's doing less shows, but bigger shows. Yeah. Yes. But it, it, he's probably doing good business at this point. Um, I mean, with that draw. I, yeah, it has to be. I, obviously... I, Obviously, guys like Lawler and Dundee and Fargo are not cheap, but you're if you're drawing six fifty seven hundred compared to what you were drawing, like I, it's got there's gonna be more money coming in. July fifth, nineteen ninety nine, uh, Wolfie D and Flash Flanagan are returning to Music City Wrestling as the Black Sheep. Uh, Rena Riggins, who uh, formerly worked from the group, is running in competition in Nashville with Tennessee Vols. Yokozuna, the fabulous ones, Chris Candino, Tammy Switch, Tammy Sitch, the Bushwhackers, and Head Shrinkers. Ash, can you find this show? <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be some. Uh, yes, let me look. And that also ran in Nashville, right? Nashville. Well, if that's to, be- to be believed. Nothing really pops up here. I mean, Heat aired that day. It was from Nashville. Oh, you know who it was? I think it was Main Event Championship Wrestling, the first iteration from Reno Riggins. But I don't know if it's... If the if the show did happen, uh, there's either no results or Yokozuna did not work it. When does Yoko pass? Uh, 2000. Okay. Well, you say this is 99, and he does Heroes of Wrestling, you know, and that unfortunate, uh, just the all series of events that happened there. But, okay, yeah, so. I don't believe the show happened, or the results are not out there. But it um, looks like if it did happen, it would have been main event championship wrestling, but the Reno Riggins version. Um. Actually, no. It, yeah, it, yeah, because he is it, running in competition. Yeah, so yeah. It did happen. Yeah, I. We did. We did stick in the notes later on. Plus, like we did. It's a okay. callback to our main event championship wrestling episode. We did All mention right. it there. Cool. Kind of Yeah. Okay. 
I remember we couldn't find any actual results for it. It just so, pops up on the observer a month later. It's not like right away. Yeah. Um, all right. July 19th, 1999, Jackie Fargo. And it's crazy. Jackie Fargo is actually wrestling here. <laughs> he's, he's, he's not even like managing. He's actually wrestling. And this is only three years before he pops up on TNA. <laughs> Jackie Fargo lost to Jerry Lawler and got his head shaved. And no, this is in 1974. It was July 10th in Nashville where the 66-year-old Fargo put up his hair against the hair of Stacy Carter, which draw the largest crowd, 990. Man, Bert's doing good business here. In history, He's actually 69 years old, I believe. But oh, that's, that's even... <laughs> Waller, who played heel as he did with their famous feud 25 years ago, said that if he's elected mayor of Memphis, oh, this is the, oh, we'll get to that, <laughs> that he was going to have the city by Nashville and use it as its garbage dump. Fargo was managed by Nicole Bass. Reports are that it wasn't a good match, but it was as good as it could have been with Fargo showing good reflexes and throwing great looking punches and Lawler doing a masterful job carrying it through mic work and comedy. Fargo stripped Stacy down to her thong underwear, but Bass turned on Fargo and gave Lawler a chain for the pin in 14 minutes and 19 seconds. Fargo got his head shaved and it was a match where Fargo put up $20,000 in Monopoly money. Uh, Fargo somehow ended up with Bass's bra. Don't ask. And it really isn't something I want to think about. Anyways, that's from Dave. Uh, and, and blew his nose in it. Uh, they didn't shave Fargo's head, but did look, have him look, have him, sorry, did have him looking like a mess. Terry Taylor was supposed to wrestle Colorado Kid for the North American title, but Taylor said he couldn't wrestle due to emergency surgery and just did mic work. Taylor instead did an angle where he was recruiting Kid to sign with the WWF. Kid actually already has... And said that if he signed, they'd have him fly straight to the TV tapings. The angle sort of worked in reverse because the crowd was cheering for Kid to sign. Taylor had to sign had 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 to then say if he signed, he never come to this stinking town again. Kid said that he wanted to go to WF, but not like this. Corey Williams came out and said he wanted to go to WF, and if he beat Kid, could he get the contract? Taylor agreed, but Kid beat him in 30 seconds. Taylor then. KO'd Kid with a chair shot, and he indicated Taylor would come back at some point for a match. Bass also ended the intergender championship angle with Farron Fox and a horrible undercar match. Bass missed all her spots, including a missed low blow, which is pretty hard, although Gordon George managed to do it the next night. Uh, even after its biggest crowd, Music City will be running Nashville less often, down to once per month because the fairgrounds raised the rent to where it's borderline prohibitive to run. Some of the undercar matches were hampered because they used, they used a WWF ring, which had the trademark WWF loose ring ropes and harder mats, but the ring crew wasn't allowed to make any adjustments. Okay, so a lot here. Uh, we'll kind of work our way backwards. The WWF ring. So I'm assuming at this point this is some type of relationship with Power Pro. Because Nicole be. Bass is there. Terry Taylor's there. And I'm pretty sure... Terry, is he, he, no, he's not, no, he's not in WWE yet because he goes with Russo. Yeah, he's in WWE still. Yeah, so Terry Taylor's there. Nicole Bass is there. I don't remember the Colorado kid ever signing a WWE contract. So, (laughs) um, so this was July 10th. Yes. On July 13th. Oh, let me find that. I just lost my place. Um, 
On July 13th, he had a dark match against Tracy Smothers at Raw in Lexington, Kentucky. So maybe that was like what was being promoted that you're so, having so a match. He, so he was doing what we know uh, some current modern day indie people have done, and they've uh, put their paychecks or paperwork that for their medicals from WWF to make it, or WWE to make it look like they got signed. They put it on social media. Um. Yeah. Well, I was thinking more of the people that like call their families at when they're working extras and just saying like, "I'm going to get signed." <laughs> um. Uh. But yeah. So they're using WWF ring. So like I said, this has to be some type of thing with Power Pro, some type of relationship here. Um. Uh. You. So we, now we now we. <laughs> Jackie Fargo, I mean, this is this is crazy. He's actually working this match and this angle in here, and you got Waller and you got Stacy. But it's crazy to think that here they are. They're doing very well. They're drawing the best houses they've ever drawn. Bert is on a roll, and now the fairgrounds is going to raise his rent. Now I'm curious if he starts running the small towns to stay afloat. Which I like. I don't really look at the notes ahead of time, so I don't know. But I'm really curious if that's what he does out of a move of desperation. So I'm just gonna take a shot in the dark here, knowing how venues can be. The fairgrounds probably saw his bump in attendance and saw saw him drawing very well and thinking that there's more money to go around, so they want a piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. No. That 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 makes mo- most sense in any situation. That honestly, we could even discuss in this. Because why would you just automatically start raising the rent after years of renting the place? Like they they must have. Get, someone at the fairgrounds must have saw it as well, Russing's making all this money. We need we need to raise our rates. And here, here we are in 1999 too, and Bert's got a relationship. It seems like with WF, which makes me makes me wonder why you know Power Pro is developmental deal now, and I think we kind of talked we touched on this in part three. Power Pro's got a developmental deal at this point. OVW is gonna get a developmental deal in in like six months, doing nine months, I believe. But they, but they don't. But he doesn't latch with them or. I think at some point WCW had Wild Side as developmental as well. It's interesting. Maybe it was just Burt didn't want to have that. Burt wanted the relationship but not have that partnership where it changes business decisions. But Because it's very interesting that Burt never became a true affiliate with any major company as far as developmental. He had TV. Uh, he was running regularly at times in lots of towns to get guys experience. So I wonder if it was something where WWE didn't want him. Could be, but I mean, clearly here they're helping him pack the house there. Maybe yeah, this but, is Lawler. Yeah, but. but I'm but I'm saying like they trusted Cornette. Um, well, at least like Jim Ross. Cornette, Cornette worked for them. Yeah, but they knew like he'd do good. He'd do right by them and do good business. They trusted Randy Hales um, because again, like he had the relationship with Jerry with Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett. Looking, coming from the outside, seeing how many feds that Burt Prentice opened up and closed, that could 
that could look like a red flag if you're running a company like WWE and you're looking for a stable promoter. It makes a lot of sense. They don't want their developmental deal to just close with no yeah. explanation. Again, I'm just this is me shot in the dark here with thinking of that. Like there might have been other reasons. But just looking at the comparisons, plus like they had less Thatcher. They had Heartland starting up. So maybe maybe it was they wanted more stable promoters, or maybe they just they didn't need anyone else. Maybe they once they had Louisville, once they had Cincinnati, and then once they had Memphis, they like maybe they didn't see a need for one in Nashville. Um, so we won't go into this next known detail because we did on our main event championship wrestling episode uh, about Reno Ringan's main event championship wrestling. But just to kind of run down, they drew 850 fans on this show, uh, but a huge budget. But in Nashville, drawing 850, uh, they had Wolfie D, Tommy Rogers, Stephen Dunn, Samu, and Fatu, uh, Brick Oss Brown, uh, Stan Lane, Stephen Dunn, the Bushwhackers, uh, but Steve Kern, Candido, and Tommy si- Tammy Sitch. All no-showed. Um, August 23rd, 1999, Brian Christopher, who hasn't been around since tearing his ACL and undergoing surgery, showed up on August 15th in Nashville to do an angle. Christopher, in his interview, claimed that Burt Prentice and Colorado Kid were roommates sharing a one-bedroom apartment, that he said he'd rather wake up next to a woman. He challenged Kid and his boyfriend. So, Cla- Classic, classic Memphis. Memphis promos. Yep. Uh, September 13th, in 1999, NWA Music City is moving... Uh, by the way, I love how the NWA Worldwide thing has just been dropped. <laughs> it's just, okay, we're not getting the deal. ECW's on TNN. Yeah. Just drop it. Uh, NWA Music City is moving from the fairgrounds in Nashville to the Municipal Auditorium uh, as its home base after the raise in the fairgrounds rent. The first show in the new building will be October 2nd with DOA and Terry Taylor booked. So here we are, more WWF connections. Um, and it continues. October 4th, 1999, Power Pro House Show business has been really bad. The company basically makes it because WF pays for much of the talent and because the TV station pays a weekly $1,500 fee for the show. For those same reasons, rumors are that the company is close to a uh, closing appear untrue, but they have been circulated everywhere. Jim Cornette had set up a meeting on October 2nd in Nashville with Bill Barron's Hales, himself, Terry Taylor, who will be working the Music City Card, and Burt Prentice, where they work together in giving the WF trainees in Louisville and Memphis areas more work and traits and talent to give each other fresh faces. However, Hales was so upset at the internet stories that his company was closing down and thought Barons and Prentice were in some form responsible and won't be attending the meeting. Um... So I mean, Barron's, Bar- Bar- yeah. So Barron's had a big internet presence, uh, and you know, uh, with the internet, he's one of the first to really kind of capitalizing on marketing. Um, Prentice was big; uh, had had his connections with the dirt sheet writers, and and this is interesting because if you look at this, you know. This is this is Cornette trying to have a full developmental in the South, the whole territory, and when it doesn't work, he just does it with Danny Davis in a year. Yeah, he's like, okay, none of these guys are gonna work together. I just have to do it. Um, 
October 18th, 1999, there will be a promotional war on November 6th in Nashville as the Music City group is running in the auditorium with Jerry Lawler versus the Road Dog on top. And Reno Riggins' main event group is running with the Tennessee Volunteers versus the Pitbulls on top of the fairgrounds. Uh, w- so Reno Riggins is paying the high price at the fairgrounds. <laughs> yes. And 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 Reno Riggins has a giant budget, and that's, that's kind of why he uh, ends up, uh, I believe, selling those rights Selling the naming rights of main event championship wrestling uh, to kind of get some of that money back. Uh, WF is pulling most, if not all, of its third-party bookings, allowing talent to be used in independent shows, uh, which explains a lot of the recent advertised no-shows and some indie shows, which in this case weren't the fault of the promoter. WWF will be sending developmental talent to Music City Wrestling in Nashville, along with Jim Cornette's Ohio Valley and Randy Hale's Pro Power Pro Group. So, so Cornette now looks like Cornette's in Louisville at this point in OBW. Yeah, yeah. He this is about the time he moved down. He moved down in '99. Um, okay. But this also signals the final end of WWE talent allowed to work indie dates on their days off. Yeah, because and, and and that never returns. No, um, I think we have few instances where they let people do runoffs. There's the famous John Cena Vince McMahon thing. Well, uh, yeah, in, in like Boston, and yeah, if you're if you're good enough, if you're in with Vince, you can ask for anything on there. And there's there's been one offs here and there throughout the years, but overall, like it hasn't. Like this pretty much signaled the end of it, and I think I think Pritchard mentioned it uh, a while back on his podcast. the The reason it just ended was the official company line was they were running they were running uh, way too mu- too often with house shows and weekly TV at that point that they couldn't really spare to let their talents uh, like miss house shows. Um, I think it's more. I don't think that's the main reason. I feel like the main reason is that uh, same reason why WWE goes after indie promoters, indie promotions now that advertise a former WWF star and use their WWE name, um, or go after you if you make an indie flyer with a picture that they own. I think this was more of WWE wanted to put the kibosh on indie promoter indie promoters uh like capitalizing off of attitude era stars like if you're an indie promoter in a town that WB say WB's running there in two months and you're booking the headbangers like that's going that's gonna cut in WB's draw when they run that town because you know, ten dollar tickets for an indie show to see WWE stars, or you know, the fifty dollars, sixty dollars to see Monday Night Raw. So in nineteen ninety nine, though, right? It, it almost does make sense for them to do this. Um, well, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not saying they're on the. I'm not, I'm not criticizing them for it. <laughs> but I'm. I'm saying. I'm. I'm just. Uh, I'm just putting out there like my feeling on why that why the third party bookings ended. I think they should be more friendly, though, when it comes to independent wrestling promotions, or at least at one point, like, I think they missed the boat with a lot of things. Um, I, I bring the, the Heath Slater free agent angle that they did years ago. He, they should have allowed him to work indie shows. 
because it would have just fueled that. It would have been good buzz for the internet and, and this and that. And, and uh, like, I'm, I get why they're not letting Roman Reigns go work Alabama championship wrestling. But, you know, until recently, they had a very large roster that they weren't using guys. Why not let them get out there? And it, it, it's good press for them. Oh, yeah, and that's and that's why, like, third-party bookings always existed, but uh, previous previously up to this point. But that's why, in the, the mid-'90s, why guys that were under contract, like Bob Holly, like Goldust, like a lot of the lower-car guys worked a lot of indies because they had a big roster for TV, but you could only fit seven to eight matches on a house show. And the house shows at that point were all the top stars. So you had a good amount of contracted wrestlers that were like during a time period when there weren't guaranteed contracts you were getting paid off the house and you you had guys that all right they were only being booked like al snow was in, in that boat too and a lot of the guys that they sent to ecw in the late 90s were in that same boat too where they just didn't have enough room on house shows for those guys and they weren't making enough just on tv just on tv tapings so they were allowing guys to get out and work indie dates but yeah, they, and like you said, they sure did with Slater. They, they tried to do it with Punk. Uh, the summer of Punk, like he worked. Was it one Ring of Honor show? No, no, I don't know. He didn't at all. Oh, you, wait, you, the summer the of Punk. Year. The when his not, contract was up. No, he didn't. No, he did not. He should have. He didn't. I thought no. like they announced him for one thing. Well, Matt Hardy they allowed, but the Matt Hardy scheduled those like Matt Hardy already had it yeah. yeah but they allowed him to actually say Ring of Honor on TV yes they're really allowed and they they allowed CM Punk to say like Ring of Honor Cole Cabana New Japan all that stuff but no he you right he was, didn't he, he fa- made that fans fans were very disappointed in that that yeah he he didn't and fans were also disappointed back um when he uh when John Cena got quote-unquote fired and people thought oh wow there you know the closest they've allowed is i think a wwe talent have appeared for booker t's promotion while under contract i want to say nxt stars during the triple h era have made random appearances in places but like obviously that they they've never made appearances ring of honor um nothing that they've that they treated as competition but I think yeah. that's just how that's just the way they've always been. Like it has to benefit them more than anyone else. Um, October, uh, so yeah. So we'll move on here. October twenty fifth, nineteen ninety nine. Besides Burt adding Burt parentheses Music City Wrestling Group to a list of smaller Tennessee promote companies, WF is selling developmental talent too. They're also formalizing a deal with Les Thatcher to both train wrestlers on developmental deals and have them wrestle at his heartland wrestling show so they're trying to have wrestlers in cincinnati louisville nashville memphis uh all at the same time at this point uh november 1st 1999 bill barons and burt prentice have sold the nwa worldwide music city promotion we don't have any details other than the promotions and tv shows are scheduled to run as is with them in charge of the product but a money man financing things, which enables them to be put on salary rather than fund everything. And will promote under the NWA banner in Nashville, where a local wrestling war is set to begin with main event wrestling run by Reno Riggins and Birmingham 
where Music City just got television and was planning on expanding to, Barron's will still own and operate the NWA Georgia promotion on his own. So this is smart, right? So he runs all these successful shows. Clearly, WWF is sending him talent, and him and Barron's are able to get a guy to say, like, oh, yeah, you guys are doing great. Let me let me buy this from you, but you guys could stay on under salary. It's eerily reminiscent of the USWA stories where they sold to a – they went to a money backer. Larry Burden? Yeah. They went to a money – they went to someone with money and be like, look, like we we have a deal with WWE or – we could have a deal with WWE, uh, and you know we've been successful. You should you should buy our company. Yeah, I just that 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 uh, it's smart. Bert was smart. We talk about this. Oh yeah, I fully. Bert agree. was a very I, good businessman. I see. The, I see that as yeah. He's he's funded the he's funded the company by his by himself for years and now he finally has someone that will put him on payroll so he has a steady paycheck coming in that's that's actually smart um december 20th 1999 as we wrap up 99 here nwa worldwide is back in nashville on december 25th so running christmas again here uh headlined by terry taylor defending a north american title against colorado kid who is back using that name after a few weeks of going by his real name mike rapata uh, Marty Jannetty is also on the show. It appears Bill Barron's apprentice already back running the city. They had sold the promotion rights to Nashville to a guy called The Lone. It's L-O-A-N Ranger. Who even knows the status of all this? So, now, are we to believe that the money wasn't there? <laughs> the, you know? Uh, I mean... The Lone Ranger could be a real person. <laughs> I mean, the, I do like it being the Lone. He had to have been like some like. Oh, Lone is spelled L O A. Oh yeah, yeah. He had to be like some like local pawn guy. <laughs> so you're saying Nashville Todd Gordon? <laughs> yeah, it could be us. Um. Uh, we are now in the year 2000 here, January 10, 2000, uh, because Jim Cornette went on vacation. <laughs> Both the Memphis and Ohio Valley shows were produced more than a week ago and were a best of 1999 type of shows. Jerry Lawler had got, has gotten TV on Channel 30 in Memphis and will be running opposition to Power Pro. This is really weird because the Randy Hills Memphis promotion had largely turned into a large just developed WWF developmental territory and it's strange Lawler would run opposition to that. Lawler is said to be working with Nashville promoter Burt Prentice on his new territory. So, so Law- it's so hard to keep track of who hates who and who's in bed with who. It just changes every year. Yeah, like, yes, like how many times did Burton Lawler have worked together under some scheme and then they're not <laughs> and then and like Lawler had issues with them back during the, the NWA angle and WWE like it's uh, that's, that's Tennessee for you but also like the the Lawler running opposition to Hal's is quite interesting because I know like he was he, he was keeping the the casino shows and then later on in 
I'm sure we'll get to it in the notes, but like later on when he left WWE in 2001, there was also an issue there with him not being able to appear on Power Pro. Yes. And then I think shortly after the like Power Power Pro like loses their developmental deal to Memphis Championship Wrestling and thing end that year too. I yeah, I think that had it, it was related to Lawler leaving WWE in 2001. I'm I'm pretty sure it's in the notes. So we'll, and Memphis Championship Wrestling that's where that famous Regal Danielson match is on. And yeah. That's awesome. Check that on YouTube if you get a chance. Um January 31st, 2000, the WF has pulled its developmental territory deal in Memphis from Randy Hales and given it to Jerry Lawler, who will be starting a competition promotion based in Memphis this week with the first television show. So this is the Memphis Championship Wrestling. Uh, Lawler's Memphis Championship Wrestling will air on Channel 30 at 11 a.m. Saturday morning, which goes head-to-head with Hales Power Pro on the traditional Channel 5 with Dave Brown. That's now a very whole... shit move by Lawler. <laughs> yes. Like, um, and the same, like, the, uh, it's going head-to-head at the same time. When, I gotta, like, I gotta say though, these guys don't hold grudges. No, because like, they're back together. They're back working together. Like I follow a lot of these Memphis guys on social media, and they all love each other. Red GB Fine loves Lawler. Randy Hales loves Lawler. Like they, they all love Dundee. Like all these bad blood back and forth over the years. It's not like we're like Crockett guys hold grudges. <laughs> like there's. Crockett guys, Ric Flair still Ronnie holds bridges for promoters that, that stiffed him in Kansas City. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> but these guys in Memphis, they, they, they literally stabbed each other in the back a ton of times. And they they, they at the end they they all love each other. <laughs> um But yeah, the whole story regarding this is weird, but apparently Lawler convinced McMahon to make the change. Lawler and Hales were originally together to start Power Pro. There's a belief that Lawler was in a sense behind Power Power Pro's formation, but all the paperwork has Hales' name because uh, Lawler had a lawsuit outstanding over the collapse of USWA by the former partners in Cleveland, and their case would have looked a lot better if Lawler got their money. The territory folded, and he had already started a new promotion in the same city on the same television with the same announcers, Brown and Corey Macklin. Uh, There was also heat based on Hale's testimony in Cleveland Investors' lawsuit against Lawler and Larry Burtman and on Lawler attempting to get some ownership in the company after the lawsuit settled, as well as Lawler threatening legal action after against the company due to some remarks made on television by Doug Gilbert on the show Totally Unauthorized. Yes, those comments. So so uh-huh. so wait the, he has heat on Randy Hales for his testimony in a lawsuit when he was under oath. So did Lawler expect him to perjure himself? Yep. <laughs> and 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 also too like we all Doug Gilbert shoot it out there like that's not Randy Hales' fault. No, not he at all. Didn't t- he didn't he didn't say. But by the way, Randy Hales does a podcast. Yes, I think he recently wrote a book too. Follows me on social media. Uh, follow him. Randy Hales is great, great historian for all the Memphis stuff. Uh, and he actually they're they're doing like deep dives through Power Pro right now. He's like watching Power Pro and doing some retrospectives on it. So check ch- check out Randy. He's doing some good stuff. Great historian uh, for that time period. Um, but yeah, so uh, 
rumors have started spreading about Jim Cornette, who runs a WWF developmental territory or developmental Louisville territory for WWF plus the Power Pro territory at the request of WWF. Checked with it and was told Lawler was doing his thing and they had no idea what he was doing other than he was. But that the WWF will be supplying Power Pro with talent. Besides talent, the WWF supplied Power Pro with its own television studio ring, which apparently is being taken from them and given to Lawler for his own tapings, and paid some insurance bills for Hales. Cornette then gave a speech to the wrestlers that, in effect, literally the next day, the word was out that WWF was pulling all its talent from Power Pro, making Cornette look bad in the process. Power Pro wasn't drawing at all, but with all, a lot of the developmental territory talent working both the Louisville and Memphis circuits, they were getting six matches in per week. Basically, the only thing that was keeping Power Pro alive is the TV station paid Hales a weekly fee for the show, and that Hales was paying little or nothing uh, for talent since most of the wrestlers were being paid by WWF, and the non-WF wrestlers that came in for Louisville were only getting paid gas and hotel money and actually going in the hole for trips because they were paying for meals. Uh, since WWF has pressured Hales into using Cornette as a booker, with WWF pulling out, Hales is back booking Memphis. Cornette largely, uh, out of friendship uh, for Hales and because of how the situation went down, is going to still work for Power Pro, even though he'd be a WWF employee working opposition to a WWF territory, opposed to originally appeared Lawler, Stacy Carter, and Brian Christopher would be doing. Steve Bradley, Rico Constantino, Nick Densmore, Flash. Uh, Robbie D and Scotty Saber have been pulled from Hales, who have been who was given until this past weekend to write them all out of his television shows. None of the talent that had been appearing in Memphis will be working for Lawler because of the lawsuit threats by Hales. WWF has also this past week made a deal with Burr Apprentice of the NWA Worldwide promotion, so the talent was working Ohio Valley and Memphis can now work Ohio Valley in Nashville, all except Bradley, who was headed to WWF soon. That that doesn't happen. Uh, and it's expected to work for Cornette and Louisville. Uh, WF is going to send a new developmental wrestlers to work out for Memphis and Lawler, who will have Jim Neidhart as its head trainer and will run a few shows per week uh, in a per, per week territory uh, with two hours of television taped every Wednesday night at Sam's Town Casino in Tunica, Mississippi on the first tape of January 26th, a former Prentice venue. Um, WWF will be sending out. Uh, half a dozen people to Memphis, including Curtis Hughes, Blue Meanie, and Reckless Youth. Kurt Angle will be coming in for the first taping, and Bill Dundee is also scheduled to work as a regular for the group. Lance Russell, the legendary area announcer for more than four decades with Brown on a Channel 5 show, seemingly forever, was offered law, the offered by Lawler the job as television announcer. Russell, who's now in his early 70s, had agreed to do the first taping this week and made a decision about seeing how he feels about doing the first two shows. What that means as far as Hales goes is that things are in jeopardy and because he's going to have to stock his roster with guys who will literally work exceedingly cheap or for free. So yeah, this is a blow to Hales. Um, it's interesting because Burt's never ever an official developmental territory. But he does get the benefit of being a developmental territory. I mean, yes, he's not, WF's not flipping the bill, but he's, they're giving him talent they're paying for at least. Yeah, I wonder how much that is just... Like guys like Cornette vouching for him and telling, like, explaining to Jim Ross that, hey, you know, we, uh, we're setting guys, we have guys here in OVW, they need more, they need more work. We can't supply them with enough shows up here in Louisville. We need another territory. Why don't you give it to, why don't you give it to Bert while we figure out this Memphis situation? 
And and this is, I mean, Jim Neidhart, head trainer. That's interesting. Um, I, I do remember hearing that too. That doesn't last long, as far as I know. No, because as the story goes, it was a a cushy job that they gave him. Uh, around the time of the Owen Hart lawsuit, uh, just to appease the Hart family members. To appease the Hart family members that would say, that would uh, take WWE's side in the lawsuit. Um, but I guess they sent Neidhart down there and his job was to, his job was to write, uh, write up reports on how talent is doing and also go to some indie feds and scout talent. And then it later came out that he was making all that up, that he was just falsifying reports. Um, as per, as per the news stories. Um, so yeah, that obviously didn't last long. Yeah, and uh, we know Kurt Angle. I know he was in Power Pro. Uh, I I get guess he did show up in Memphis Championship Wrestling, but I thought he never made it that there. I think he did Power Pro. Then I thought he went right to the main roster because uh, he's he's. I mean, this is two thousand. Like he's already there. I think doing house show or doing dark matches. Angle is, so I don't even think he ends up in Memphis Championship Wrestling. If I'm not mistaken, what by this time? Yeah. Oh, he was already on TV by November yeah. 99. I mean, they're saying he's reporting there. He'll come in for the first taping, at least. Yeah, it might just be just to just come in to you know, pop the house. Um, February 7, 2000, uh, after having a meeting with WF and basically coming out of it with an agreement, Burt Prentice got a better offer from WCW. And <laughs> second, this is why we cover this guy. <laughs> Burt never... Never stayed complacent. <laughs> I think that's the best way to put it. Oh, great. WF. Whoa, WCW, you want to give me more money? And I think that's why he never became an official developmental territory. He always had to keep his option open. That that was Burt. Whether it be a different venue, a different city, uh, different promotion, <laughs> um, or, di- or different company he had a relationship with, different business partners. Burt always kept the door open for another option. Um, but after, uh, having a meeting with WF and basically coming out of agreement, Burt Prentice got a better offer from WCW and took it. Actually, Prentice's version of the story is that he told WCW he had a verbal deal from WWF, but they continued to pursue an agreement. After two weeks from the, uh, uh, January 12th meeting with Jim Ross, Prentice had gotten any paperwork. Prentice then accepted an on-paper offer from WCW and it was more lucrative and that the WCW power plant talent would probably start working for the group on February 11th. This is a blow to somewhat to WWF's developmental situation because Prentice's national territory was supposed to fill the void left by guys who had worked for Randy Hales in Ohio Valley and no longer being allowed to work in Memphis for either Hales or Lawler because of threatened legal action would have still gotten in their five shows per week working Nashville on the weekends. Uh, February 14, 2000, uh, several WCW power plant Saturday night wrestlers include, uh, uh, Alan Funk, Elix Skipper, Chuck Palumbo, and Rick Cornell debuted this past week for Burt Prentice's NWA Worldwide promotion. Um, so he now, waited. Uh, now he and he doesn't he, become a full developmental for them either. No, as far as it, because they they end up in Wildside. But he waited. He waited two weeks after the meeting with Jim Ross and the NA paperwork. Um, that's interesting. But also, you know, Terry Taylor worked for him and Terry Taylor was in WCW at this point. Yep. He jumped for Russo. 
So do you think Terry Taylor might have uh, played a part in this? 100%. Because Terry, they, they needed, and and unfortunately, they didn't do this sooner, and they didn't do it as well. WCW needed to get the power plant guys out more before they showed up on television. And yes, WCW had a ton of TV. They had Saturday night. They had... Uh, worldwide. Worldwide uh, Pro. Like, they had all those shows uh, going on, on top of, of course, Thunder and Nitro. But that's not enough. you got to get these guys on a smaller scale where they can make mistakes, and it's not on television. And they could really, they can be in there with guys like Tommy Rich and Ricky Morton and, and whoever, whatever veterans are on the show. Like, that's what they needed. Um, and they work a little bit here. They work a little bit in Wild Side. But I think one of the big, and, and one of the big reasons probably why WWE failed was all these young talent weren't, they, they weren't crisp enough. They weren't experienced enough. And they had to kind of carry that company with bad creative. And if you're not experienced where you've seen it all, bad you can't overcome bad creative. Yeah. I I could I definitely see your point. Where are you going with that? Uh, there's many other factors of why WCW failed. Well, yes. but, yeah. I'm not saying that's the main factor. But yeah, but definitely like not building up. Why were they not starting their own... Pro- they should have d- does what NXT does now with the coconut loop. And they, they they should have had WCW power plant shows all over Georgia. We talked about how good the Georgia territory was for Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling and for Wildside. Why they weren't doing that in 96... It blows my mind. Yeah, like the power plant was around in 92, 93. Yes. I, it, it wasn't officially called the power plant. It was um, Jody Hamilton's uh, yeah. independent school, and he was running his own stuff there. But, and they would yeah. send guys to independence, but it was like, you know, there's the famous, like, when they debuted Ice Train, they showed Ice Train's, like, independent match in Georgia. They could have done the thing that, like, I, I always thought, like, what NXT should have done, where... When it was Florida Championship Wrestling in Tampa and they were planning on moving it before they decided on Orlando, I always felt like they should have moved it to Atlanta. You you based in Atlanta and you could build, they could have built the Coconut Loop and did it out of Atlanta because in Atlanta you're only a few hours away from from Jacksonville, from Orlando, from Nashville, Nashville Huntsville, from Chattanooga, Charlotte, Charlotte. Uh, Asheville, like Richmond's not the worst. Charleston, yeah, yeah. You're basically within like Atlanta is a good base, and you could send talent out four nights a week. Uh, and not to mention it's a hub airport, so if you you could send somebody quickly from developmental to anywhere you were running in the country and one flight. Like Atlanta doesn't have a lot of connecting flights, so like say you're in you know you're in Phoenix and you want to call up Gene Snitsky, (laughs) you know, yeah. Flying from Atlanta to Phoenix, yeah. Yeah, but that was something where you could save money, and within four hours, you could you you had so many major cities within four or five hour drive from where you are, and your central base. Like you, you still hit those Florida loops at the same time, but I always felt like that would have been more beneficial to run these small house shows. At WCW, yeah, WCW missed the boat. They could have did this very same thing, especially by this point in time where. 
house shows were back in full swing by like 96, 97, to a point where I think in 98, 99, they were running more house shows per month in WWE. So, but like those house shows, they weren't, they were still running those nationwide. They still could have done smaller indie based sized house shows all around the Atlanta area. I mean, they ran the Saturday night tapings and they ran them in places like Indiana and Illinois and all that. But like, once again, it's television. You didn't have to, these kids weren't ready for television. Well, they were, they would do those television tapings, but then they'd use Greg Valentine and Bruce Beefcake as the opponents for these kids. And yeah, I'm, I'm, not gonna get any heat by saying you're not gonna learn a damn listen, thing working working with either of those those two. Because... Listen, if I want to fill my card with grizzled veterans, I'm not calling Valentine a beefcake. I'm calling like who I just said. I'm calling Tommy. I'm calling Tommy Rich. I'm calling Bill Gilbert. I'm calling Ricky Morton. The Robert ones that Kitchen. actually care about building yes. the next generation. Mike Jackson, George South. Chip yeah. Donovan. <laughs> the guys that care about building the next generation are not in it for themselves. Yeah. like I don't, I don't think I'm out of line for anyone that has worked an indie show with the Greg Valentines no. and Bruce Beefcakes in the last 20 years. Like that's, Or the Brian Knobs or the Jerry Sags. Like that's, yeah. There's those kind of guys, and whether your opinion, whatever your opinion is on them, that's, that is what it is. But that's the general consensus is that like they're, they're in it more for themselves when, yeah, like, the guys you just mentioned, the Ricky Mortons, the the Tommy Rich, they're they're in it to help further the business, and those are the guys that should be used in those spots. Yeah, and and look at and look at it too. We're in two thousand ninety nine, two thousand, right? And you got all those guys I mentioned on there. You also got the fabulous ones working matches out here. You got Bill Dundee. I mean, there there is a ton of veterans that are that want to work work. They're just not there because I'm the name and I'm going to, you know, I want to have a, the, the six to eight minute comedy old school match. You know, they, they'll want to make these kids look good. And they want to teach these kids. And in 2000, it was probably one of the best eras for it. Yeah, you pretty much just had Bobby Eaton. And that was about it at this point. Yes. And that's the thing they're w- not even using w- Bobby w- Eaton. W- make Bobby yeah, Eaton w- the head trainer of the PowerPoint. That's what they should have done. Instead of Dwayne Bruce, what did Dwayne Bruce ever do in this business? I'm sorry. <laughs> like, no offense to Dwayne Bruce, but like, That's Bobby Eaton, Bobby Eaton should have been the head trainer of the power plant. I don't think anybody, anybody would disagree with that. No, but I guess Eaton has said himself that, like, he was a horrible trainer and he was a horrible agent because he knew how to hit the moves, but he didn't know he couldn't explain it he didn't but, know I mean, how it could to... be bobby eden with dusty but bobby actually in there with them you're saying that there could have been a role for him yes 100 percent. i like, mean as a player coach i think is probably the best option yeah but then that's the thing you you develop this developmental promotion for wcw and you you got a guy like bobby eden on the contract that you're not really using on television you send him down there to really work with the kids. So Bobby Eden's out there having matches every night with Sonny Siaki and whatnot. So but we'll, 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 we'll get it. We'll talk more about this right now here. Uh, I know we're going on a lot of rants tonight, but it's in tangents, but it, it, it all fits in the, this Nashville in the late nineties and early two thousands 
has a lot of tie-ins, and that's why this Burt Prentice story is so important. Um, but February 21st, 2000, the Nashville local wrestling war between the NWA group and the main event promotion is over. The NWA group, which had been running a large arena, uh, returned to the fairgrounds as part of their deal and got the main event TV time slot as part of the deal. Riggins and Stephen Dunn came back to work for Burt Prentice as a heel tag team as main event. <laughs> Prentice uh, did uh on TV did an angle where he claimed he was the owner of main event promotion from the beginning, double dipping, and is now the heel manager for Riggins and Dunn. He always turns it into business. Uh, Chris Champion also jumped over. This is the group WCW is sending developmental talent to, including Sonny Siaki as GQ, Kid Romeo and Mike Sanders, Chuck Palumbo with Mona as his manager, uh, Chris Harris and Alan Funk on the February 19th show. Mona, of course, Molly Holly. Um, April 10th, 2000, in what was billed as Burt Prentice's final wrestling show in Nashville on April 1st, which drew all of 135 fans at the fairgrounds. That's rough. Colorado Kid beat Terry Taylor's WCW surprise, which turned out to be Ron Harris in the main event. Uh, they did a April 15th TV taping for a new group called Pro Sports Inc. in the same building. Mike Porter is taking over the NWA Nashville promotion as Burt Prentice apparently has done another one of his selling of the company deals. In the past, he sold the company only to have the person buying be gone quickly and folding up when the money losses pile up and Prentice returns. Uh, Porter, who wrestles as Mephisto, has wrestled way back in, for New, Nick Goulis in area and had been running the CWA group out of Columbia, Tennessee. Jeff Daniels is doing the booking and, and judging uh, from the TV... Da I'm sorry, judging from the TV, Daniels and Mephisto are going to build it around themselves. The WCW guys will still be working the Saturday Night Nashville shows through at least June. Prentice is said to be moving to Savannah, Georgia and opening up a local promotion there. Colorado Kid is said to be up in the air if he's going to apprentice or stay in Nashville. This so, is interesting. So just when he gets that WCW deal, and it just seems like WCW is more hands-off than what WWE would have been, where they're just sending him guys and he's can book the card and do what he wants. He's just like within months he's he's out. And again, that's April two thousand and now we kinda jump there's really nothing in the notes there. Like Burke kinda disappeared for most of most of two thousand. This guy must have had a lot of money. I you know. I, I mean if he's if he Sold, sold the promotion, and lived off of that money for a while. And I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering in this time if he's, because I'm assuming he'll him and Barons are still tight, that he is probably helping out Wildside in a consultant role. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, but pops back up here in 2000. Uh, one, uh, so January 22nd, 2001 music city wrestling will be in repeats till January 20th. The company is working on a deal to get kick-ass wrestling. That was the promotions old 1230 in the morning, Saturday night time slot starting February, uh, February 12th, 2001, Joey Matthews and Christian York won the NWA tag titles from Rick Matthews and David Young in a double ladder match on February 3rd, uh, Nashville, uh, about 300 fans. Burt Prentice is back running the show there. And let's talk about bringing back Jackie Farbo and the Fabulous Ones on May 5th. So, hey, it worked in 99. Let's do it again in 2001. I'm back and I'm bringing in Fargo and the Fabulous Ones. Hey, he, he took a year off. 
I mean, he, he's going through bad health. Like, it's understandable. Um, March 4, 2001, WF Music City Wrestling ran a joint show on February 21st in Jones, Arkansas. This is interesting. Uh, said to be a pretty hot show. Chris Starnes beat Just Joe. Billy L- Biddy Little beat Fabulous Rocker and Kong. Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee beat Bobby Eden and Brandon Baxter and Victoria. Uh, Eden, who was working as a trainer in MCW. Okay, so see, I love how we bring up a point there. Actually did the job, but I know he Cornette did get him this job. I always thought it was an OVW, though. Um, actually did the job to Cat, although Lawler did set it up with a pile driver. Still, think about that for a second. Cat was classified as the legend. Pete Gass and Joey Abs and Lance Cade beat Spanky and American Dragon and Shooter Schultz. Latter team is known as the Click, and along with Cade, we're all trained by Shawn Michaels. Uh, Haas Brothers beat the Dups to win the Southern Tag Team titles. Brian Christopher won the Southern Lightweight title, beating Rodriguez, who is also known as Rodney from the Mean Street Posse. The gimmick is Indy Rages. Uh, Christopher was replacing Kay Quick, who supposedly hurt his ankle the night before at SmackDown. Steve Bradley and William Regal. Uh, Steve Bradley beat William Regal to retain the Southern Heavyweight title, and the main event saw Triple H beat Kurt Angle via DQ in the WWF title match. Interesting. So very, this looks very, very interesting that the fact of it's a Music City show happening on the other side of the state in a different state in Arkansas. and there's no Music City wrestling talent really on there unless you consider Bill Dundee. It's pretty much a developmental show. Yeah, because Music City is still loosely associated with WCW, I believe. But how fascinating is they're giving them Kurt Angle and Triple H? That's pretty big. I wonder if this is if this is. I wonder if part of this is Shawn Michaels getting in Triple H's ear and going, "Hey, go see my kids." Uh, it's... And Kurt Angle obviously had an attachment to the area. He was just there a little over a year ago. So wait a. Uh... Oh, hold on. This is, I don't know if they've so ever, I, so they did a lot of favors for OVW, right? Obviously, Steve Austin came and did stunners, and um, they've had Kane and The Undertaker. and But did they ever have a WWF title match in OVW? No. All right, so this here's. Is, I never knew this happened. This is kind of big. So, so here's something. When did Lawler leave WWE in 2001? Um, it was about the time WCW, right before WCW folded, because wasn't it rumored that he was going to pop up? It was right after trip? No Way Out, but I'm I'm trying yeah. to figure out the date, because look at that date. Like, this is February 21st. And I'm trying to figure out when he walked out. Because he's on the show. Yeah, he he had to walk out in March. No, because he walked out in February. It had to be like right after this. Yeah, because like that's very awkward. Had it been that raw after? Because you know, if Triple H is there, Stephanie's probably there backstage. She might even be. She might even came out with it because this is. I. She may be involved with this angle actually. With him and Kurt Angle. I can't remember. Um, 
But yeah, uh, so it, it it gets more fun. So here we are. We're talking about WWF's involvement and it being a Music City show, but there's no Prentice guys on here at all. It seems like and Just Joe was another one. It's Joey Legend. Um, I don't know if Fabulous Rocker or Kong or Chris Darns are or anything. Maybe local Memphis guys. Uh, March twenty sixth in two thousand one, uh, Jerry Jarrett has put up a put forth a proposal with TBS. It would investors attempting to purchase the company, but that has been a best a dark horse if both the WWF and Fusion deals can't be completed, and Jarrett's group pull, pulled out upon the TV cancellation. Burt Prentice claimed on Joe Petticino's Pro Wrestling This Week radio show on Fox Sports Radio on March 18th that a major announcement by Jarrett could be coming very soon about a new national company, but others close to Jarrett have told people to not make much of this. So... Clarification on this, um, because listening to to, to uh, my world with Jeff Jarrett, the yes, J- Jerry Jarrett did want to buy WCW, and when he didn't, he was I think they had an investor in New York City, uh, and then unfortunately, like the day they were, I believe Jeff said they were supposed to meet with that investor on September 11th, and then clearly, obviously, we know what happened. And then nothing really came after that, but it was like a, a promotion that they were going to do and try to get Randy Savage as the face of it. I do remember something along those lines. I think they were supposed to meet at the towers. There was something like weird. Yeah. I- or irony about close that. Close to the towers. Or yeah. Um, April 16, 2001, uh, Burt Prentice has opened up a new promotion in Nashville called USA Championship Wrestling. Uh, and uh, remember that name because that name stays around for quite some time. Uh, and his the old WCW Worldwide time slot in the market. All the worldwide slots are up for grabs for WWF as WWF decided against keeping them and syndicating their own programming in the slots. They are already running shows around the area and the first big show in Nashville on April 21st. Right now, the TV consists of old Prentice NWA Nashville tapes of the past. Uh, May 7, 2001. This is from Figure Four Weekly. Uh, a promotion called USA Championship Wrestling headed by Burt Prentice will be starting up in June and taking the TV slot uh, belong to NWA Nashville. This month, NWA Wildside TV will be airing in that slot. Prentice appeared on the show this weekend and claimed that USA Wrestling will not be a small local group featuring any talent, but a huge national promotion featuring former big-name stars. I'll believe it when I see it. Alvarez always gets his jabs in there. All right, so... Uh... By the way, Elver is the one who reported that crazy WWF show with Anglo Triple H. So, uh, just going back, going back. Uh, so Lawler walked out on the twenty seventh. So six days after that show. Okay, um, that makes sense. But also, like this is very interesting, especially with the time slot with the TV. It's reminiscent of the eighties during the WWF expansion when. WBF expanded and stopped running high school gyms, and that basically jump-started the Northeast indie scene. It yeah. seems like this is going the same route, where you have companies... You have WWE pulling their syndication deals with the, the WCW syndication deals, and you're leaving, you're leaving all these holes in programming for all these local networks that they need programming and they've always traditionally had WCB Worldwide or WCB Pro in these time slots and they need programming. So here guys like Bird are gonna come in and scoop up those time slots. Yep. That's why Wildside 
got a good syndication deal. Burt did, and 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 that's also why uh, Rob Black thought he could do it with XPW. If you remember from our XPW show, <laughs> he wanted to, to get the syndication, it just didn't work out. Um, the syndication was pretty much dead after '96, like anyways. It, it 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 just trailed along there for the last few years. But WWE really it was an afterthought for WWE. It was mostly you had. Shotgun, 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 Saturday Night, shotgun challenge, metal, jacked. They were just recap shows for the most part. Uh, WCB still tried to do something, but even that was. They were an afterthought. They both companies stopped putting any any effort into those shows, and they just became recaps or just pretty much hour long advertisements to watch. Monday and nights. I think and at I this think... point, or 2002 maybe, they don't even put matches on syndication anymore because then they have Heat and Velocity both on networks. Yeah, by this time, uh, I don't even know when Metal and Jack stopped. It had to have been like it had to have been this right era. around here, yeah. But yeah, when you had Heat, that was pretty much it. Um, there was no time for any of the for any of the uh, no time to actually film matches. Um, yeah, they had heat, and then they did Velocity as part of the SmackDown crew. Yeah, but Velocity Velocity was then on um, Saturday nights on USA, or not USA TN, Spike, TNN Spike, Spike yeah. yeah, which I, I I love that Saturday Night Velocity. Yeah. To be honest with you, but and at that, that point, like that was a great show. Yeah, like the the syndication was just an afterthought to the fact of like no one was watching it. So yeah, you you have guys like Bert and. And Barron's getting these time slots, getting good time slots, but like, were the fans really still conditioned to watch syndication at that point? Oh, well, June 11, 2001 here, Burt Prentice's debut of USA Wrestling on June 2nd uh, at the National Fairgrounds drew 600 for a show headlined by Terry Taylor and Bill Dundee, who teamed up in that area around 1983, beating Lawler and Mike Rapata. Where Rapata piled Drew Lawler and took his crown and now call himself King Mike. <laughs> On June 9th, they're going with Brian Christopher as Too Sexy with versus Rapata in the main event. Also, they're working the debut show, including Sean O'Hare, Bart Sawyer, Johnny the Bull, Alan Funk, Kiwi, uh, Mark Jindrick, Tommy Rich, Cat, and Spellbinder. WF apparently didn't pull power play here to pull its contracted talent. O'Hare, Johnny, Funk, and Jindrick from the show, even though Lawler was the headliner, I guess because of trying to make amends. So this is interesting to your point. So Lawler's on this show, but they're going to keep their talent. And this is what we were talking about. So this talent is on a card with a guy, with guys like Bill Dundee and Tommy Rich. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really, I didn't put in the notes here, the Lawler saga, because that would have added like an extra hour to the podcast, to the podcast. But yeah, yeah, this was during the time where Lawler was back with Randy Howes and WWE, flat out said like you can't use Lawler on these shows because he doesn't work for WWE anymore. And this is a great mix of talent on this show. Um, I mean, we see Rob Williams who's heavily involved in main event championship wrestling uh, that we talked about. Uh, Mark Jindrak, uh, Ashley Hudson, James Storm, Tommy Rich, Chris Harris, Alan Funk, Johnny the Bull, Cassie O'Reilly, Sean O'Hare, Bart Sawyer, Terry Taylor, Bill Dundee, Lawler, Rapata. It, it, it's, it's WCW power plant meets the Southern independence. And like early TNA, there's some some early TNA, Harris and Cassidy O'Reilly. Get, get, get. 
Gene Chris Stewart. Harris. Chris Harris versus Alan Funk. Yeah. I never knew that even happened, but here we are. We had Chris Harris versus Kiwi. Um, June 18, 2001, in what likely would be one of the biggest independent shows of the year on June 15th in Memphis, which would read like an EMLL show. Uh, you know the, the same matches that could be headlined in 1981. It's the return of the Bruise Brothers, Pork Chop Cash, how old must be he must be, uh, Meltzer asked, and Dream Machine, one of the most underrated talkers in the re- history of wrestling, and Mad Dog, where did they find a question mark, versus King Cobra and Tracy Smothers and Chris Harris, The Nightmares, Ken Wayne and Danny Davis, and Rock and Roll Express. These teams had really good matches around 1983. Wolfie D and Jamie Dundee reprising PG-13 versus Spellbinder and Reggie B. Fine with manager Burt Prentice. Uh, Cat versus a woman wrestler named Ying Yang. Uh, Yong with Sonny Ono. Wait, so Sonny Ono was on Memphis television? Yes. In a WWF territory? (laughs) Ono on Memphis TV uh, this week was building up the big show uh, in the exact same stereotypical role in the midst of suing Time Warner over him doing so. Uh, although Brian Christopher versus that, that is interesting um, that he's in the lawsuit while he's doing that. That he's also he's, he's doing the stereotypical role. Yeah, yeah. Also, Brian Christopher versus Mike Rapata, Moondogs versus Bushwhackers, Bill Dundee versus Kamala, Buddy Landell, um, who Meltzer said looked terribly out of shape, like three hundred pounds at the OVW Christmas Chaos show, and Billy Travis, managed by Nate the Rat. Uh, some I only think of five people who still remember him uh, versus Jimmy Valiant and Rocky Johnson. Uh, Rocky SB about 60, uh, Valiant about the same age. Fabulous Ones versus Road Warriors with Lawler and Fargo in his corner against Lord Humongous, who is Emery Hale, with Jimmy Hart in his corner, and Lance Russell is the referee. They'll be bringing back Jerry Calhoun uh, and Sputnik Monroe, uh, the record crowd in Memphis in a stadium match with Billy Wicks circa 1961, which held up until the recent WF boom period when the pyramid was opened and have a battle royal. So this looks like, like a Memphis reunion show. So it's, So is this... Is this Lawler just doing a one-off? Uh, I believe so. Because I next... don't really... I, there really doesn't seem to be any WWF involvement. No, not at all. Uh, no. Yeah, I think it's just it's Lawler doing a reunion show, just doing a, like a Night of Legends. Because I'm like, whoa, Sonny Ono's involved with WWF show. That'd be a first, but yeah. I mean, he ended up being on uh, Treasures years later. But this wait, this wasn't the big show match, was it? No, it wasn't. No, no, wasn't that, like that Lawler versus the we, Lawler versus Hogan match. Like, we might do a small episode based on that because there is a lot on that. Yeah, yeah, but not a lot for like a big deep dive. But there's a fun sixty minute show we could do about that whole Jerry Lawler Hulk Hogan big show stuff. Uh, June 25th, 2001, uh, this is from Figure 4 Weekly in Alvarez. Uh, the Memphis Night of Legends show took place so June 15th. Several sources of the building city attends around 2,500, which isn't bad for an independent show, but promoter Burt Prentice, so Burt was the promoter of it, insisted the afternoon was closer to 4,600. <laughs> the $78,000 gate. Do we really think in 2001, when WCW's attendance declined, they were not drawing 4,600? ECW wasn't drawing 4,600 before they died. Do we really think this show... 2,500, I could believe. Do we really think this show drew 4,600 fans? I mean, that is a stack card. Um, it is. But, mm, it is. Uh, yeah, I think that's a little papered. But they're doing cards like this in 1995 for USWA and not doing those numbers. 
Yeah, so. but nostalgia nostalgia sells. This more, is still right? not the nostalgia era, though. Yeah, like, this is not fair. where nostalgia, you know. I always said that WWE would be very successful if they ran a Legends promotion. And it doesn't have to be this large touring thing. Just do a Vegas stage show where you just had Legends wrestle each other. Yeah, of course the wrestling wouldn't be that great, but it, it would draw because people love nostalgia. Yeah, Godfather comes out. Like for I mean for the Matt got a lot of guys that still can work too, like Gangrel and the Headbangers, and you know, um, even the you could even go the early two thousands guys like Carlito. Uh, June twenty fifth two thousand one, uh, in what was said to be a sad reality of how long ago really was the Legends of Wrestling show on June fifteenth in Mid South Coliseum featured the return of the legendary Jerry Lawler versus Jimmy Hart feud, as well as uh, most of the biggest stars ever worked in that city. Drew has reported 4,700 fans uh, paying 60,122 a live report. We got estimated the crowd around 2,100 to 2,500. Uh, this still will likely end up being the largest pure pro wrestling gate of the year in the United States. OVW did a larger crowd at the gate for Christmas chaos on January 30th, but that was largely due to an appearance of Steve Austin. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of went all over everybody. That was nothing really different of who was on that show as they had the results there. But Chris Harris is there uh, on there too. The Galaxians, uh, Robert Gibson, and all the names really mentioned. Oh, Kurt Henning and Stan yeah. Lane. Road Warriors, WDQ with Stan Lane and Kurt Henning. That would probably have been an interesting match to see. Yeah, that would have been fun to watch. Um, July 2nd in 2001, uh, Figure Four Weekly, the Memphis Classics TV show starts on July 7th. And then thir- 9.30 on the UPN affiliate, WUXP. Burt Prentice's USA Championship Wrestling will also be cut back to a half an hour, moved to 9 a.m., so fans will get a half-hour block of wrestling, uh, hour and a half block of wrestling every Saturday morning. Um, wonder if Burt had any involvement in that Memphis Classic show of why he would cut, you know, have his show cut to a half an hour. And I'm wondering what type of footage, like, are they airing no, on that? We don't Is... know who owned it. <laughs> We still don't know who owns the Memphis footage. Well, no, we, we've we've discussed this on previous shows. No one owns it. Yeah, um, like the the TV the, they were all filmed at the TV net TV station Channel Five with their TV with their TV cameras, so they have possession of it. But then, like, there was never any paperwork, and they didn't care. So it's so they technically own it, but like they don't care now. Like it, they they're not going after people on YouTube putting up the classic matches from the 70s and 80s and 90s no but at this point in 2001 do you think they care <laughs> like what is w u x p that is i'm trying to see it's a upn affiliate so it, it's got some traction no I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing like if they're associated with channel five um because if they were like owned by the same co- same conglomerate then i could see that but like like now it's like 30, 40 years ago. It's no no big deal, but this time like it was still fresh in everyone's mind. I just find that really odd that it, that another TV network would just start airing foot airing TV shows that like nobody actually owned. Yeah, and that could be claimed by the local TV station, but eh, it's Memphis for you. All right. Well. uh... 
move on here uh, to July 23rd, 2001. Burt Prentice ran his annual Toju Yama Motor Memorial Show on July 14th in Nashville, which drew more than 600 fans, paying 9100 I don't know if it's annual because he didn't run in 2000. <laughs> uh, Lightning to attended included Corsica Joe, Don and L. Green, Ronnie Gossett, Sylvia Hackney, Guy Coffey, Jerry Barber, Sarah Lee, and of course Jackie Fargo. Joe and Al Green in one match threw a bunch of punches at Bart Sawyer, an undercar match. Fargo, referee the Lawler versus Mike Rapata main event. Billy Travis did a run in, but Fargo decked him. Fargo DQ'd Rapata using a chain, but Rapata left with heat after knocking Fargo out with a chain. This drew 600 people. Uh, Jackie Fargo's a draw. Let's just face it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here's an interesting car. Here, so we talk about people. Before they became famous here, right? It, th- there's a match here, a six-man tag, where Rick Michaels, David Young, and Corey Williams beat Rob Williams, Chris Harris, and Ken Anderson. Yes, Mr. Kennedy. Uh, pop it up here in 2001. Um, James Storm here beating Billy Travis. I actually love to see James Storm and Billy Travis. That sounds like a really good match. Um, August 27, 2001. Burt Prentice's USA Wrestling drew 600 fans paying $8,100 on August 18th in Nashville at the fairgrounds, bringing back old favorites like Bill Dundee, Stan Lane, Jimmy Valiant, Brian Christopher, and Doug Gilbert. Uh, Billy Travis uh, was a no-show, and Robert Gibson was actually the team of Lane and historical Rock and Roll Express Fab's partnership were advertised at first, although the last TV show did pull Gibson's name. Prentice had been using WMC TV Memphis Legends show to promote his card. Uh, so, yeah, he definitely was involved with that classic show. <laughs> the The plan originally uh, been able to use the tape to build a, a major legend show on the market like they had done one in Memphis with Prentice working with Memphis Group, Lawler, Macklin, Jimmy Hart, and Dave Brown, and putting the show on. Uh, doing this sort of steam, uh, doing this sort of took the steam off the idea, and it now doesn't look like it will happen. The Memphis Legends TV show is being pulled off from the market, as well as speaking of the Memphis show, even after 18 weeks, the show continues to do good numbers, doing a 4.5 in August 18. So here we are in late 2001, really the de- the beginning of the decline of popular wrestling. Uh, and uh, Memphis is still doing good business on television, at least. Yeah, and here, even in Nashville, he's drawing 600 fans. Uh, like he, September- did, he did a legend. He did Toji Yamamoto. Yeah. Memorial show. He drew 600. And then a month later, came back and did another 600. These are a lot better than the 125s he was drawing in 96. You yeah. Know? Wrestling, uh, wrestling, even with wrestling in a down period in 2001, there's still, there's still that residual fan base. Uh, September 10, 2001, uh, last week's Music City Wrestling TV show was only 30 minutes long and aired without sound. Apparently, it took the station an entire half hour to notice there wasn't any audio. And at that point, they just took the show off the air and put on an episode of The Cosby Show. That's rough. Um, <laughs> hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully, Burke got his money back if he had to pay for that. Yeah. Uh, October 15, 2001, John Collins! <laughs> Was pulled out of the main event championship wrestling completely or was fired, even if it exists in the first place, because the problems with Gary Straub became public. He's now starting a new group called New Wave Championship Wrestling in early November with dates in Indiana. To show that he's learned from his mistakes, he showed up once again on October 3rd in the Evansville Coliseum, cut him to promo, still with Tracy Smothers, saying there'd be no money problems with this new group, ran down MECW, and claimed that he'd be bringing people like Kurt Henning, Jerry Law, Brian Christopher, and Val Venus. Doesn't even know, I guess, if Val Venus is still a WWF. 
for, in for future shows. FBI agents were running around the Evansville Coliseum trying to get answers about something to do with Sir. I, I don't know. But the thought... We talked about this on, on our main event championship wrestling show. The thought of FBI agents running around the Evansville Coliseum in an indie show probably drew like 100 people. Just... It's hilarious to me. I, I, I mean, neither of us were there, but there was a, uh, at we neither of us were there at this particular show, but there was a company in Buffalo that we had worked for, or at least I had worked for, that a certain individual that worked there was had a warrant out for his arrest in New York City. Oh New yeah, York I never State. worked for that company. No. Yeah, and. Uh, and the state police did show up to the show because this guy was on the flyer. And uh, what happened after that, uh, all the other companies that booked him were told that they couldn't advertise him and he would show up shortly before his match and left before the show was over. <laughs> so that's how that that's how you handle situations like that in pro wrestling. All right. And... Uh... We'll leave with this because uh, we'll 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 start off in 2022 for part five. I think that's fair, Ash. You probably agree. Uh, December 31st, 2001. You, you you forgot the the stuff in bold there. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Collins also showed up on October 6th in Nashville for Prentice's latest incarnation of promotion at the fairgrounds, playing the role of a rich heel manager. So yeah, John Collins and Burt Prentice pass did cross. Um, and, and that doesn't last long because I think he goes to jail not too long after that. Uh, uh, John Collins does. Uh, in December 31st, 2021, from the Figure Four Weekly, Burr Prentice's USA Pro Wrestling show is following an old wrestling tradition of running a cr- show Christmas night. So here he is, 2001, wanting to run Christmas night again. All right, so you know, we'll actually we'll go into 2022 here. I think we'll kind of take it to TNA here. Uh, we're going to wrap up a 2001, but we'll go into right 2002, 2002 here, uh, go into a little bit. So we'll start with January 21st, 2002 uh, for that year with Burt Prentice's USA Wrestling having its best running years with three straight weeks in Nashville, topping 350 fans. I mean, is that the best running years? They were drawing 600. Um, on January 12th, the headline was Terry Taylor and Larry Sabisco over Brian Christopher and Doug Gilbert, ending with Christopher turning on Gilbert when he was pinned. This sets up Taylor and Sabisco versus Gilbert and Tommy Rich on January 19th. That's an interesting match. I'm intrigued um, by Sabisco versus a lot of Southern wrestlers. Yeah, Sabisco in that in the Southern Indies is fascinating to me. Um, February 11, 2002, Jim Cornette and Scott Hudson. That's a interesting team are now working as the announcers of Burt Prentice's USA Wrestling in Nashville. By the way, Scott Hudson, extremely underrated. Uh, there will be taping two shows live to tape for the first and third Saturday of every month at the fairgrounds. They're taping on February 2nd, drew a strong crowd of 600, headlined by Lawler versus David Flair. Uh, Rick Flair and Jerry Lawler, two of the greatest promo of all time, did dueling promos that aired at the local television show and also aired on TV uh, ad that was taken out during the Nashville airing of SmackDown. Lawler had reportedly had his working shoes on more in this match that he's already been in Nashville in a long time. Lawler won after three pile drivers. They're doing a major show on March 2nd in the fairgrounds as the annual Toji Yamamoto Memorial show. Um, Rick Flair doing a promo that was airing on USA wrestling TV. Interesting. Back in the Nashville territory. Um, February 18, 2002. Uh, and, and it all comes full circle. 
20 years later, Flair's going to have his last match on the fairgrounds. Uh, February 18, 2002, Flair and Lawler were again doing dueling promos this week on Bird Prentice's USA Wrestling Show in Nashville. There are plans for a Flair versus Lawler single match in Nashville at some point. To the best of my memory, the two have only wrestled each other twice, even though their careers have been about 30 years. Most of them time as headliners as Flair traveled the world. Flair's, but Flair's in WWE at this point. So is Lawler. I mean, Lawler, yes, Lawler always did this. Flair didn't have that type of deal, did he? Because he doesn't, he doesn't actually wrestle anywhere. Did did Flair did Flair did Lawler think he could make this happen? Yeah, and, no and convince one's... Bert. Yeah, and nobody is going to tell Ric Flair no. Like Vince ain't telling him no. He had to have though. This does doesn't happen. Or just Flair changes his mind. Well, no, yeah. And, and Burt probably can't get Flair the money he wants. That's probably what it came down to. Because he's booking David. I, I'm assuming, like, Burt is booking David in there as a way to try to convince Fl- convince Rick to do the match. And then he was probably hit with Rick's rate. Um, February 25, 2002, Bart Sawyer is no longer USA Wrestling Memphis. Apparently, he had used a stop sign during his match and ended up flying in the crowd and hitting a fan. So, yeah, that should get somebody fired. Uh, that was the end of his run here. He's now working for NWA Wildside. Um, Bart Sawyer was there for a long time, though. Almost as long as Rapata. Uh, April 8th, 2002, Burt presented his annual Toji Yamamoto Memorial Show on March 30th in Nashville, drawing 640 fans for a four-hour TV taping. So you at least get 600 for these shows. Featuring Chris Harris beating Larry Zabisco. To regain North American title, uh, and David Flair winning a Toji Amaro Cup by tossing out both Leviathan and Jerry Lawler. Is that Batista? Yes, there's other OVW yes. people in the scarf. That's yes. Batista. Think about this, guys. <laughs> Think about this. Uh, Larry Sabisco uh, throws out. So, I'm sorry, no. Um, David Flair wins a battle royal by throwing out both Batista and Jerry Lawler. Um, this was wild, man. The Music City Wrestling was wild. Uh, Jimmy Valiant in his early 60s returned. Terry Taylor, 46, whose doctor advised him to stop wrestling because of a heart condition, lost a loser leaves town match to top area babyface James Storm. Jerry Lynn and Rick beat Rick Michaels with the Sunset Flip Power bomb spot which legit knocked michaels out it wasn't supposed to be the finish and he was hospitalized after the match but checked out okay said to not have remembered anything about the match lawler and brian christopher beat david flair and jim Cornette in 12 minutes Cornette replaced rick flair who was never advertised for the show but that was the idea to do a father-son tag match that had been doing tv promos to build that up it was announced that david had a mystery partner against lawler and christopher and the battle royal Cornette turned heel on flair and and after he won and Leviathan power bombed him, Lawler then made a save by knocking out Le- Leviathan out of the ring, um, which is pretty much symbolic to an ending of the feud. They announced Lawler and Flair versus Cornette and Leviathan for April the 6th. Uh, Jerry Jarrett was there scouting the show. And you'll know why. Uh, Jesse Ward uh, from Tough Enough 2 worked the show as one of the Hooters girls. Uh, Mark Henry no show due to an injury, and they didn't want to risk him before he started back with WWF. The entire Rob Conway and Nick Dinsmore versus Sean O'Hare and Mark Jindrak match was also scrapped. That probably would have been really good. Uh, Jindrak is having wrist surgery. That explains 
at least him. Cornette usually does the TV announcing for his group with Scott Hudson. With Cornette being involved in several angles and performing in his old role, they use Steve Prezak, Hudson's longtime good friend and the wild side announcer, and the two have announced together dating back to the Georgia Indies, maybe as far as back as the late 80s, certainly the early 90s. Uh, so yeah, um, no surprise, Rick's not there, but Jerry Jarrett scouting for TNA, folks. Well, we don't know that yet. Oh, we don't know that yet, but we know exactly what that is. Uh, June 10, 2002, the second ever Jerry Lawler versus Dusty Rhodes match, either or ever in anyone's memory, took place on June 1st in Nashville for Burt Prentice, paying seven before 795 fans, paying 11200 which is Prentice's biggest crowd in a long time. Seen as uh, it's, it's nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the match won by Lawler, even though Nashville is for is Lawler's old time territory and Rhodes had never worked during his prime. The crowd was split 65, 35 for Lawler and Rhodes sensing it starting working heel Uh, with his feet in the ropes after Rhodes tried to a pin using his feet on the ropes, but it was overshadowed by a backstage altercation involving Jim Cornette and Ed Ferrara. Oh, that's this show. Um, Cornette was there, uh, as he and Scott Hudson do Prentice's TV announcing. Ferrera was there because Jerry Jarrett wanted to have Don West, who's never announced wrestling, do a tryout run with Ferrera and Jeremy Borash, since NWA's TNA announcer Mike Tenay was out on vacation. Uh, Prentice told Cornette on May 28th that Ferrera would be there, and Cornette wanted, went back and forth whether to cancel or not. Since Prentice made promise to not start a fight, uh, there was obviously great heat between the two, largely due to Ferreira making fun of Jim Ross's Bell's palsy on both WF and WCW during doing the Oklahoma TV shows. Um, I don't think he ever did in WF. Did Ferrara pay a fake GR, fake GR WF? Do I just not remember yes, that? Yes, he did. During one of the Tiger Ali Singh uh, oh, segments. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Where he oh, would pay fans to, to perform acts. He, uh, he brought a quote unquote fan in the ring to make fun of JR. It was Ferrara doing the JR impression. Okay, that makes sense. Um, the only time I know they actually had words was over the Terry Runnels abortion angle, which Cornette said doing such an angle would make people who had either had an abortion or knew people who did uncomfortable, and there was no reason for it, as it wouldn't mean a thing for ratings, wouldn't sell one pay per view. Uh, order or sell one ticket Ferrero defended his entertainment and that you see in a soap opera regularly Cornette said that wrestling doesn't end the show with credit saying the character of Steve Austin is played by Steve Williams so that's a bad analogy and that people want to take wrestling as serious during the time as they are watching on TV Cornette also blamed Vince Russo for the ruination of wrestling and even though Russo and Ferrera aren't close any longer after falling on WCW Cornette associates the two together and they worked closely in WWF Cornette eventually decided to come because he wanted to see Rhodes vs. Lawler. The talk of a possible confrontation was in the dressing room before Ferreira arrived, with Prentice telling everyone Cornette had promised not to fight, and Cornette joking that he made the promise so he wouldn't. Uh, Ferrara, in his NWA TNA dreadlocks gimmick, uh, came into the dressing room and went to shake Cornette's hand. Uh, custom dressing room protocol. Cornette started by talking quietly to him and telling him off. The more he said, the hotter he got, the louder he got. Ended up being a obscenity lace promo. Uh, him making fun of Ross, saying he was petty and mean-spirited and had nothing to do with the business. That Ross was his friend and they were making fun of an, an affliction that nearly cost Ross the job that he loves. And then spit in his eye. 
Ferrara got mad and asked, what was that for? Cornette said that was for JR. It got really tense, and Cornette did ask him what he was going to do about it and challenged him to go outside, but nothing happened from there. It wasn't exactly a pull apart, but it came close to it. And, uh, and yeah, this, this this story has made the rounds, and uh, it was one of the first Jim Cornette uh, freakouts. Uh, well, one of the first well, that actually made it out there. Yeah, that people realize about you know, post Smoky Mountain freakouts. <laughs> I should say we all know about the Dairy Queen, but and then one with his car in Atlantic City that was used for a promo. They didn't realize. Yes. Um. Uh. uh <laughs> Yeah, he's a guy that had anger issues that no one ever, no one in the business ever sat him down and said, you have anger issues, you need to take care of that. They all just saw it as, oh, Corny's just, Corny's ranting, and saw it as funny. Where if that happened, if that was someone now, like, they definitely, he'd definitely be in therapy. Yeah. Uh, Notable names on this show, uh, this card here that drew 795, uh, Prince Justice, who's Abyss, Michael Shane, uh, Cassio Riley, Chase Stevens, um, Disco Inferno. Uh, we have Mike Rapata there, James Storm, Chris Harris, uh, wrestling each other. Uh, Brian Christopher beating Buff Bagwell and Jerry Lawler beating Dusty Rhodes. Uh, June 24, 2022. I want to keep saying 22. 2002 from the Figure Four Weekly. NWTNA has given up on the idea of touring nationally. Uh, since it had trouble even giving tickets away from their debut Huntsville show. Uh, beginning with the July 3rd show, they're going to run live every single week at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium. Uh, tickets, which started at $30 a pop, were later dropped to $10 each, and by the last week, they were given away for free. It should be noted that OBW, often using WWE's wrestlers, have been running TV tapings every week at the Davis Arena in Louisville for over a year, and to this day is still has still had to give tickets away for free with the move Burt Prentice will now be helping promote the shows. So Prentice now being involved in the TNA office. Yep, uh, because they're running. They're not touring nationally. They're running Nashville every week now. So I think that's my business. wondering, too, that's going to come to my business, though. Unless he's, oh, maybe this is his way to get in there. Uh, yeah. And I mean, maybe he not just, run. He, appreci- he always looked for a steady paycheck where he's not spending his own money. Um, July 1st, 2002, uh, as mentioned last week, Burt Prentice will be the main promoter for the Wednesday night Nashville auditorium shows from this point forward. So he, he's the promoter. Uh, he's a pretty good promoter. So that's a positive. He also agreed to hand over his 90 minute Saturday morning, nine o'clock time slot to the Jarrett's so they can have local area TV to get the guys over. I believe this will be called NWA USA wrestling, which I, this becomes explosion. Uh, so Prentice guys will appear on the shows as well. As a result of his weekly shows in the National Fairgrounds, there are no more uh, after this weekend. TNA plans on taping a few TV matches before each pay-per-view begins. Um, July 1st, 2002, NWA TNA will be working with Burt Prentice as far as local promotion television. Prentice will no longer be running weekly shows in Nashville at the Fairgrounds, which is pretty much expected with this group announced local shows weekly, although he still has run some shows. And including June 29th. The Prentice TV show and a local UPN affiliate will combine hyping the Wednesday night shows locally and hyping Prentice's area spot shows, but the syndicated version of the show would only be NWA TNA. So that's explosion. Uh, There will be about 20 minutes of wrestling before the pay-per-view starts each week. Uh, I believe Jeremy Borash will become the regular announcer for the new show. And lastly here, uh, before we close out on part four, 
July 15, 2002, figure for weekly. Burt Prentice changes mind about canceling weekly Saturday night USA Championship Wrestling shows at the Nashville Auditorium and will continue to run them as long as attendance stays above 200. Sounds like a bad idea to me since two weekly shows seems like a surefire way to burn out the town. And absolutely. And at this point, too, TNA is hot shotting the territory. So they're getting anybody they can. Ken Shamrock, Scott Hall, Sandman, New Jack. They're just getting anybody they can to do one-offs. Dusty Rhodes, Vader, Legion of Doom. Um, probably not the smartest idea for Burt to, to stay as a weekly territory during this. No, especially not in Nashville. And you would think at this point, Memphis is pretty much dead now because they don't have the developmental deals anymore. He should have maybe moved back into Memphis. He drew the, the he was drew that great Memphis Legends card, you know. Yeah, but uh, how much how much would have that affected? Like, how much would the TNA job uh, would have affected that if he's now driving four hours to Memphis and back several times a week? I mean, that is true. Or just have somebody helping him promote in Memphis. But yeah. So with that, we're now it's going to get into the nitty gritty of TNA and TNA giving away free tickets and all that fun stuff. Uh, and, and, and where USA Championship Wrestling goes. And that will be for part five. And I, I, I that should be the wrap up on this. Um, I don't know if we'll spend a whole half year talking about bird. If we do, I'm not surprised, but, uh, we'll see if there is a, uh, but I think we'll, this will be a five parter. Um, we really want to thank you guys for listening. Once again, you could like us on Facebook, rediscovering Indies, Instagram, Twitter, RTI pod. Of course, you know, you're already probably listening to us downloaded, but you know, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcast, and other, uh, devices. I want to thank BICPB radio network. And I want to thank, uh, the uh, podcast precinct, Matt Johnson over there doing a great job. Uh, I myself, uh, Chris Gullo on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can listen to me at WrestleNomics every Sunday, uh, part of the Post Wrestling Network. Uh, we usually do it at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, like YouTube stream. Uh, and then uh, we got the Patreon where we put a lot daily content on there as far as uh, spreadsheets and ratings and all that. And I know we're doing these Who's a Draw? Uh, specials which we have another one coming out um uh wednesday june 8th um and then just for myself uh this saturday night i'll be doing uh, those of you listen to any in the buffalo area this saturday night i'll be at pop patrol doing stoned up comedy it's a uh, it's a comedy show uh it's a marijuana friendly comedy show so uh the the, the fans are there there are allowed to you know do what they please, I guess, apparently. So uh, if they don't laugh at my jokes, then it won't be funny. Um, and then the next day I'll be in Binghamton uh, Sunday uh, for Excite Wrestling. Uh, and th- that's going to be uh, with Jake Christ is on that show and LSG and others. Uh, and then other than that, my June is pretty light. Unlike yours, I'm sure your June is very packed. Oh, well, June 18th. I'm sorry, June 18th. We'll have ESW. Uh, ESW Black and Blue, and that will be at the... Um, Frontier Fire Hall, uh, six o'clock bell time on that. Uh, Jay Freddy versus Kevin Blackwood for Blackwood's ESW title is headlining that plus much more on that show as well. Uh, but yeah, give your plugs away, Ash. Uh, I'm going to be all over. Um, as we're recording this, I just got back from Vegas, um, producing GCW, Wrestling Revolver, Black Label Pro and VXS. Uh, this coming week, I will be in Atlantic City with, with GCW for Tournament of Survival, Cage of Survival, JCW Fully Loaded, uh, 
week after that's Northeast Wrestling. Week after that is ESW. Uh, got another LA trip coming up in June. Uh, got the July fourth weekend uh, trip for, JC- for GCW. Going to St. Louis, Evansville, uh, Detroit, a few other locations. So I'm um, keeping busy. Yep, and uh, you know, and we once again we apologize for the delay here. We try to get this out in May. It's going to be out the first couple of days in June, but we want to keep bringing this to you. Um, you know, we we get so much good feedback, and we really appreciate everybody listens. For you know, we have fans and a lot of people in the business that listen. We just really appreciate every.